Mentors for Military coming at you from 15 Perry Street. It's Robert Gowan. I'm joined by sidekick Jason. Hey, thank you. Jason, uh, as you know, has been on the podcast a couple of times. Jason Belford, you can go back and listen to a couple of his episodes and uh, check that out and everything. And Felipe is joining us again. Yeah. Welcome back to the you. Military Podcast. So, Thank you. Um, Felipe came on. For those of you who are looking back, uh, it'll probably be, you know, by the time you listen to this thing, about five, six episodes back, uh, you can find him. Um, and that was, I think, labeled as part one because we already mm-hmm. knew we were going to do a part two yeah. before you even left the building. And <clears throat> primarily is to get in the topic that we're going to go into now. Uh, but if you go back there and look at his episode, uh, you'll learn a lot about the early parts of his career uh, that we didn't get a chance to go into the second phase of that. And um, we got into uh, some really deep discussion there, but it was all good uh, all good. Uh, Hawk. Yeah, absolutely. No, I really enjoyed it. Uh, th- very thankful for the opportunity. Yeah, man. Glad to have you back in here. And um, with uh, it's going to be a little bit different, which is kind of cool too, because it was Paul that was uh, sitting here, and so we yeah. we end up going a lot into the mental health and and those types of things. But um, one of the things that we wanted to touch down on that we didn't get a chance to the last time was you being part of the recon. And so I want to talk about you were you were at Second uh, Battalion, Seventy uh, Fifth mm-hmm. Ranger Regiment. And um, what was it that kind of started that transition, or how did you start learning more about those opportunities and that made you want to go that route? So, uh, unbeknownst to me, we, so 2005, 2nd uh, Ranger Battalion, we were involved with Operation Red Wings. Uh, that was. Oh, that's the other thing we wanted to get down and yeah. talk about. So, go, yeah, yeah keep going. Uh, yeah, yeah, so this it actually ties in quite well. Um, a lot of people were involved in that operation. I still don't even know who all was involved because there were so many people there. Um, I just had actually a guy randomly send me a message on Instagram. Hey, man, can you sign this print? And it's of Latrell and, and the rest of the guys that were, you know, the Navy guys that were there. And mm-hmm. I've never heard this, heard of this guy before. Uh, I, I have seen some signatures of, like, uh, Brian Gargano on there and everything. But anyways, um, so we're up there. We, we make it in. Um, now, were you doing just the outer perimeter, or what was it you guys were, were so, doing? So, uh, what I, I guess I can tell the story of, of when it happened, if that's okay. Yeah, like basically no, no, kind I'd love of, to know everything. I mean, the, the yeah. feeling, because, like, they made a you movie. know. Oh, what's yeah. that? We, they made a movie. Yeah, but, yeah. but well, it didn't focus on you guys. Yeah, no. That's the but, thing, though. Right, yeah. but at the end, you can see that and it's, it, it shows that it is. Yeah, and so for me being a PFC, and I didn't know anything about the military, so I'm just doing what, you know, Corporal Torres, uh, love you, Lando. Uh, You know, I just do what he says because he's the smart guy. He's the leader in the room. He's the guy up front, like, you know, you and I were talking about just a minute ago about being the first sergeant. You're out front leading your men, and that's the way Orlando was. And so he's like, I was a Carl Gustav gunner. Uh, I got lucked out with that one. So uh, that was my first. Uh, oh, yeah. I do. But here's the thing, though. I I have, I love that thing. That is probably one of my most favorite weapon systems. Just You're not a very large guy, and that's a big, heavy weapon. And I'm sure you love jumping that thing. Exactly. When uh, Jer- <laughs> when uh, my friend Jeremiah Congdon, Congdon uh, decided to put me out at Moses Lake on that giant runway out there in Washington, and I jumped out the left door, so I took all the prop blasts right to the Carl Gustav, and I did, I don't even know what happened. I did flips and whatnot. I thought I was skydiving, <laughs> you know, having fun. No, it was brutal. But uh, anyway, so we uh, we go out to the range, East River Range. Uh, I'm just going to go shoot, you know, do some marksmanship training. It was a pretty slow uh, deployment so far. We had gone on one mission. 
I sat out on that one. Our guys went on kind of uneventful, nothing uh, crazy going on. So we're at uh, probably the end of June, I believe. And so we get, we're at East River Range, and I'm in the gunner's hatch. Just And then we get a call, hey, we got to you know go back to Bagram. I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't know what's going on. So we, everybody's running around. You know, their heads are like chickens with their heads cut off and everything. So we get ready. Hey, we don't even know what we're really doing other than we know that there's a helicopter down and there's, you know, people dead. And so, you know, as a, as a private, you don't really know what's going on anyways. Are, is this, are you guys being QRF or? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, that was like we got the call because we were uh, – two of the platoons that were one of the two platoons that was down there. And so there was three Charlie to, uh, as well in country. And so we immediately get all of our stuff ready. We're like, Hey, we're going to be in and out maybe 12 hours. So we pack light, we drop one plate, we bring, you know, I still have four rounds with my Carl G. I got a nine mil. That was it. So we end up going to J bad. We spin up, get in the birds with one sixtieth. go to J bad. We end up stopping there. There was weather or something, whatever it was that they wanted us to, you know, rest overnight. We, and it was like in a jail or something. I don't know. It was really weird. You know, it's 2005. So J bad wasn't built up yet. Um, so this was kind of a surreal moment in my, in my life. I'm like, this is what I wanted. And it's like, do I really want this right now? <laughs> you know, but you do because it's, it's something so new and you're just like, yeah, this is the coolest thing in the world. So we, uh, we stay the night there and then we go out, we had two ships. So, uh, two, two, uh, 47s. And then unfortunately where the aircraft had gone down, we were eh, about 800 meters or so away and we were trying to, they're trying to put us in on basically the top of a mountain. So we have guys, you know, pushing out the rope and it's about a 90 foot rope and it's just dangling there. And so we're, we're stressing out a little bit considering we're at a, you know, combat load. And the night before, two nights before one of these had been shot out of the sky doing this exact same thing. So yeah, a little nervous, a little nervous. Um, but, uh, fortunately for us, nobody, you know, no, we weren't shot or anything, no contact on infill, uh, had one of our combo guys break his arm guy landed on him. Um, you know, guys rolling down the hill. I started rolling down the hill as soon as I uh, got on the ground. But, yeah, it was pretty brutal. Um, even had uh, – I still have the gloves, but instead of having a left and a right, I ended up having two left-handed gloves. And I didn't realize that until about, you know, the, the time hack where they're like, hey, put your gloves on. So I'm, you know, all happy, like, yeah, we're going to fast rope. Cool. And I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, this is not good. So I put that bitch on backwards and just – all the strength I could muster with that thing and just hold on just as tight as I could to where I didn't die and fall down that rope. But, uh, so uh, that was kind of, kind of funny, but so our job, I was uh, in weapon squad. And so for us, it was more of, we're, you know, setting up the cordon, like we're going to set up the perimeter, have blocking positions, all that stuff. Uh, basically just set up security. The first night was, uh, incredibly cold cause we're at 10,000 plus feet and none of us had any snivel gear whatsoever. Most of us didn't even have a shirt on. We just had our top cause it was so hot and we were only going to be there for 12 hours. So we're smart Rangers, right? Uh, 14 days later, I, I get on a 47 to oh, leave, to leave that God. place. <laughs> so, um, but it was fun. No, it was, it was, it was a, it was something that you know, will forever be in my brain because it was my first mission in the army. And it was, like you said, they made a movie about it. My uh, buddy, Tony Brooks, 275 guy, he actually recovered the bodies on the aircraft from the Navy guys and the 160th guys, uh, the ones that went down there. So, uh, and thankfully I didn't have to deal with that. Obviously I would have had that, uh, you know, been there. Uh, but we were just basically setting up security for them to recover all the personnel, the bodies, personal belongings and all that stuff to exfil that out of there. 
And then pretty much for me, uh, we sat there. We sat at that saddle for I think it was 12 or right at right at uh, two weeks. And so uh, we'd have, you know, people coming up. We'd have A-10s and whatnot fly by. And I, I'm, I'm looking at this guy, and he's, like, giving us a thumbs up. I mean, this dude's close. Those are awesome, man. I mean, they just, like, all the – it was big show of force type mm-hmm. deal because especially at night we had a lot of Taliban and whatnot come up. And uh, so thankfully we had pretty much every air asset right. in country at that point because it was all hands on deck considering we had just lost several U.S. service members, and we have one – on the run trying to ENR. Um, and so we're at, we got a, uh, air force guy. It was his last deployment actually. And I'm like, damn, you, you drew the short straw on this one, bro. <laughs> but, uh, no, very solid dude. He was a, uh, I think he was a CCT actually. And, uh, so we're, we're in our little position, um, where we built a little shanty with my squad and everything at our position. We, uh, Inferno. Yeah. <laughs> and it was actually kind of nice. It was pretty nice. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to send you the picture, Robert. It's a, it's a pretty nice little, uh, little shack there. <laughs> and, uh, but no, we would always get the calls from, we would hear what's co- air assets are coming in and all that. And then we would also hear the status of Marcus Luttrell because he would ping on his, on his embed or his radio and it would actually give it a grid, which we were very thankful for because that is a, a very like not everybody does that on their radios and we were so thankful that uh they did that and so um but yeah i mean it was for us it was not as eventful as the guys that were all you know looking for these guys and then we're going to finally circle back to your question robert so i'm sitting up there with my carl gustav it's during the day we're just kind of hanging out you know just watching our sectors and doing things like that rotating guard and do you know just trying to stay fresh and everything and i see uh, what looked like Jesus himself walking up, it would be John Chella, uh, <laughs> who later would become my first sergeant, unbeknownst to me. But uh, he looks like Jesus because his hair is even longer mm-hmm. than mine is right now, and he's got this big burly beard, and he's carrying this, like, you know, early 90s rack with all these saw pouches, you know, drums in there, and he's got a saw, 46, that's suppressed. And I'm like, what is going on right now? And then somebody's like, yeah, those are the RD guys. And I'm like... What? So that right there is kind of what started it because there was a couple of them in RD, RRC that were there that walked up the mountain actually. And one of the guys that walked up that mountain with RD, he was, he and I later were in RRC together, which is very ironic because I didn't even know who he was. And uh, we're still great friends today. So that's, that's really where it started. Um, it, that was kind of like what scratched the surface. And then I started asking more questions because one of the guys that walked by me was John Green. John Green was my rip cadre, and he put the fear of God in all of us because he was absolutely psychotic, <laughs> like just unreal psychotic. And, you know. That was my Shannon. God rest his soul. Yeah. I love Shannon, but he was, man. You, you get that you get that little <laughs> shudder when you see him. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy's going to know who I am. He's going to know. Man, he doesn't know who you are. Yeah. He doesn't give two crap. Like, he doesn't give two shits who you are. And I was just like trying to hide my face. And, one, and I even saw him at the PX, and I walked by him just to see if he would say anything. And, I mean, he's in civilian clothes or whatever. But uh, so that, just seeing that guy as my rip cadre, and now I see him as this RD recce guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable in the woods. Like I, I, that's kind of, I think that's kind of what I gravitated towards. I love the line company stuff, kicking doors, doing all that stuff. But I started gravitating towards the recce stuff for whatever reason. I wanted to punish myself more. Hey, I want to carry more weight and go for, you know, longer distances. That's a good, sounds like a great plan there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was pretty much where it started. And then, uh, throughout the 
you know, training cycles and whatnot, we would have like little glimpses of them work with RD back then. Um, and then we had some guys that went to selection and whatnot and they'd come back and they'd tell us about it and everything. Of course, we knew about Delta Force selection. And so I was like, well, let me try this. I'm young. I think maybe the, you know, as far as maturity wise, uh, I'm still kind of immature. Maybe I can, maybe I can make it here and then build my maturity, learn, grow a little bit in the special operations community and later on, you know, apply for Delta Force to go be, you know, an operator over there. So that was kind of like the plan after a while. And so, of course, mm. none of it went to plan other than I did go to RRC. But <laughs> well, so how, how is it that they typically feed that pipeline then? Uh, I mean, is it through like a 4187 type of thing, you know, where you turn in a request for um, going through the selection or, you know, so are you handpicked, jerry picked? So it... Maybe a bit, a bit of both in some in some direction. So circa 2008, because that's when I went to selection. Uh, I found out about it through a team leader in my squad, and he's like, "Hey, hit this email, like you know, contact this person at this email, and then they'll start sending you applications." So that you have to, you know, pass the application screening process first, and you have to have, you know, they they said, "Hey, we want at least a, you have to be ranger qualified, or else you can't even apply." And so, which made sense because they have senior NCOs there and. In regiment as a senior NCO, you're going to have your Ranger tab. So, especially as an infantryman, and so um, yeah, I was just starting out with that that process of just doing the hey, I met the minimum requirements, and so uh, yeah, I'm a little young. I had already done my team leader time, so then we we're we're going to you know use some of that leadership experience in that blockade of leadership leadership experience. So, and they're like, yeah, come on out. So it's basically, uh, and your leadership signs off on and everything. And, and mine, thankfully, was really cool about it. They were you know, all, all for it, and uh, which I was very happy about because usually we hear horror stories where that's not the case. Like, mm-hmm. uh, actually, a buddy of mine, um, while we were in selection, he was our, my borderman for our platoon overseas, and we've already gone on several deployments and everything together, and he's a solid guy. Like, I've seen this dude hump for days and days and days with rounds and the tube, everything. Like, this dude's solid. He's a solid ranger. I think he has asthma or had asthma or had something like he we go up to Dahlonega from Washington State and it was like he was sucking suck I was sucking like the the air just kills you and when he got back he didn't pass the uh, five mile run for whatever reason you know asthma or whatever it was shortness of breath you could hear the wheezing and he gets back and he just gets crucified mm. like just absolutely crucified they make him do ranger standards all this other stuff and then you know go to the doctor I'm like he just tried to do something better for himself, and so that's because he failed a standard in there. There would have been another or something else he probably would have gotten, but as ridiculed. Yeah, well, but in in my thing is like to me, it's almost subjective. I know we're supposed to trust another senior NCO to grade someone, and we didn't. We like when I was cadre at, at selection, and I did not ever ungrade unfair. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of graded. I tried to be strict, just right down the line. But I mean, if it's pretty darn close, I'm probably going to give it to you. It should be unsubjective because it's yeah, it, it's a go or no go type thing. And 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 for him, that's that's the five mile run. It's go or no go. And I'd never and I'd worked out with this guy and everything, and it's completely solid. We'd you know run a 36, 37, five mile with ease in Washington. We get down there, and it was like I I mean I'll, I'll be honest. I ran a 39 minute five mile there at Delonica at Fifth RTB. Boy, I was close. Die. Oh yeah, yeah. I was dying, but I mean I. That's a hard trail too. It is because you're running the keyhole. That's yeah, stupid. That's, that's, Those, that it's it's miserable. But um, yeah, so it was really through the you know paper process back then. Now it's a little bit more. They've switched back and forth. Used to it was 
only Rangers, only guys within Ranger Regiment. And then they opened it up to Army wide. If you, you know, if you're an E5, E4, whatever, and you have your Ranger tab and you meet the minimum requirements, then you can put in an application. And then they'll review the application. They may send you, uh, you know, an abridged psych eval just to kind of get a baseline to see, hey, yeah, yeah, we want this guy. So you bring him out um, for selection. And then uh, Sergeant Major Bishop, he changed it from where it was selection only and then to basically be in like, there is no selection. And so that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, so guys would get picked, like Jason was saying, um, you know, meet the minimum requirements. Hey, this guy, here's my guy. He's a stud. And then you show up and you still have all the same standards. You just don't have that land navigation, the selection portion. They still but, go to that portion. They were sending them to the, to, uh, like the RASP too, mm -hmm. you know, for like senior NCOs and first sergeants to go through and officers. So, um, the thing with that is if you go through your ass too and you pass and you're selected, um, then you're now in the regiment. However, so what that does is that cuts them off from like <clears throat> when there is a selection portion, you're just TDY. So if you go and fail selection, you get to go back to whatever, you. then yeah. you just mm -hmm. cut loose. But once you pass the, so you see what I'm saying? So they, they're that. That they reshaped that model recently, last two or three years. Mm -hmm. So that, that doesn't do anymore. They they have it back to almost the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. But the problem was we were getting dudes, you know, that were selecting, but they would like go and fail land nav, and then you had to find a job for that guy because now he's yours and you own him. So um, they redid the model and, and made it to where it's like still I can cut you off. And, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of odd that. Um, there for a period of time, and I guess now it's reverted back to you have to be part of regiment, or you can come in from the outside. You can come in from the outside now. As long oh as wow! You, as long mm -hmm. as you meet the minimum requirements, uh, yeah. Like if you're at E7, like you you have to have a certain amount of like time left before you're going to be promotable to E8. Um, same for E6, you know, Ranger tab, 100%. You know that type of stuff. But it's you got once you meet the minimum requirements, um, you can come from they. They send invitations out. It's just kind of weird that, you know, your, I mean, your entry into regiment was much the same way. You're an implant. You come in and everything. Um, but to go into this unit, which I would assume to be just a, you know, a little bit different, that, you know, you got to pay your dues first, you know. There's a, a ladder here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound like there is a ladder. Well, the, there is. But the, the, the thing with it, and he can tell you this, is... Um, the, what what the what the RC guys what what they they do is is uh, you have to have a passion for that like he says like it's a it's a different thing you know I, I can't say a lot of things but it's a different set of skills if you will um, and that, and and that has to be like your passion something you want to do different gotcha. and better so yeah and for for me the one of the other things not just the reconnaissance element or being being in the woods type uh, environment. Um, unbeknownst to me at the time, we were going to do more urban reconnaissance and surveillance type things than being in the woods. The The woods portion was basically reserved for, you know, maybe a special training event like NTC or something like that, mm -hmm. or for MLAT, you know, airfield seizures. That that was our, our thing. We would be, we would jump in at least four days prior. We have a, usually call it a hundred hour recce. So, um, you know, you, you jump in, you got you, you brief the battalion commander, whatever battalion you're supporting. Generally, it was 175. And so 
uh, we had a couple guys in my in my team that were 175 guys, so they had a, a very good relationship there. Uh, we always had re, you know really good MLATs. Um, as far as you know, the overall mission went well. We we're all still free. Every, it seemed like every time we would go out and do an MLAT and do a recce, it's raining for four days, and then the night of the drop, it stops, and we're like, "Son of a bitch!" <laughs> and you just get on like you you meet up with the the you know the, your link up uh, company or, or squad or whatever. And they just look at you, and they're like, you can tell. They're like, oh, my God. You guys are disgusting. Yeah, we're just, like, soaking wet and just stink to high heaven and everything. And we get on the bird, and everybody's like, oh, my God. But it's, it's just the way it is. It, it's fun. I mean, it was for me, it was the, the fact of doing the reconnaissance element, but then also kind of being a little bit smaller of a, you know, company. We had small teams, six- to eight-man teams, and I, I, I really liked that a lot. I mean, I loved being a uh, you know line, being on the line, you know, doing that, doing raids, ambushes, things like that. Um, but I also really liked the reconnaissance aspect of it uh, because it was, you know, like Jason said, we did a lot of things. You're kind of a jack of all trades. You're really not a master of any of them. Whereas in the line, you're you know you're you're focusing on the you know, CQB CQM stuff. We we did that as well. We could do you know clear rooms, do you know, that whole thing. But we're also having to do cameras. I'm having to. I'm having to learn Photoshop. I'm having to learn this radio. I'm having to learn this special piece of equipment. I got to take out to the field <coughs> with me because it's going to collect something, some sort of data or whatever. And so it's much more of a, a technical game there. And so I think that's what it intrigued me because, with most of us, our minds are going a thousand miles an hour, and we're just trying to help calm it down a little bit and and kind of get it to where it can focus. And once we get it to focus, we can really, you know. Uh, make some make some things happen basically so it was it was challenging is, is the biggest thing is what it was how what is kind of the history of uh you know the recon piece of it does it go back to lursa vietnam days and stuff where they you know or is it something more so for me I, what i feel like uh just reading some history and whatnot a lot of the reconnaissance element stuff i think some of it started in world war ii going through the desert, doing some really long-range patrolling out there. I think in Vietnam is kind of when it started to really pick up. And then you had, you know, Special Forces, the the Navy SEAL guys. Um, and then for us, we were we started about 84. So we had battalion reconnaissance platoon, but it's much smaller. And it was kind of like a standards week. You go through a standards week, uh, they do a psych eval, and if they want, want you to come on for battalion recce, then, then so be it. Um, this one, like I said, you got to go to selection, got to go through the whole process. So I'm like, well, let's try that. Let's see if that'll, um, get me kind of doing long range shooting, uh, learning a little bit more, just learning something different really is what it was. And mm -hmm. so that, that's what intrigued me because, and, and with reconnaissance itself, I think coming from Vietnam, it's transformed because air force does it, Navy does it, Marines do it, everybody does it. And I think everybody kind of has their own version of that, even you know, even the, the BRP guys, the battalion recce guys, they kind of have their SOPs and whatnot. We have our own, and we I think that's just kind of how all of them morph. Even, you know, 82nd, they have LURS and whatnot. So um, I think there's just that need for having that, that re reconnaissance element, that arm there to help support the regiment as a whole. Mm -hmm. And well, so, It's a regimental asset. It can be a battalion, but it's a regimental yeah. asset, not just a company or battalion. It's the regiment's asset. So they're... They answer to the, the main guy. Mm. I can yeah. only say so many things, so I'm like, I that's why I'm letting him talk. <laughs> no, you're no, you're good. No, go go right ahead. Please. No, no, I'm out. I'm like, mm, 
Yeah. No, no. <laughs> you're probably better that you talk than he talks. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's uh, in, in talking about this, we get a lot of intrigue, and I don't know why, and I think it's just because people hear about it or something of that nature, you know, and, and that's why I thought it would be kind of cool for you to speak a little bit around it. Um, because whenever it's one of these super uber secret type of things, that's where people want to know more. Of course. Um, shiny object. Yeah. 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 And, and for, you know, regiment, it is one of those things that I think people want to understand. So you ended up being, how long did you end up staying with recce before you end up going to become an, an instructor or a selection at selection? So my, uh, military career has been laden with injury. Like Jason was just talking about airborne, <laughs> airborne injuries. Like with that uh, Carl Gustav jump, that that hurt. Mm. Didn't even lower it. Did not even lower that sucker. I didn't know. I had. I was. I had tried just trying to unfuck myself. Basically, is what I was trying to do because I'm upside down hitting the prop blast off the C17, and just like, okay, well, I'm still alive. I'm just holding this one and just hold on for dear life. And then, good thing is, I went out first. You know where you know where my link up point is? The complete opposite end of the field. That's like like That's three, a great scatter plan. Yeah, it's like miles, <laughs> miles away. And so I'm like, well, this is the dumbest thing ever. But I don't know, whatever. Um, but no, that was, yeah, just times like that because there were so many dudes that got bad concussions. Like they 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 got rocked hard hitting the hitting the tarmac and whatnot, or you'd hit the ground and then your head hits the tarmac. I've done a couple of those, and so. Um, no, I, I graduated the, uh, what's called the reconnaissance training course now. Um, Delta Force has the operator training course. Uh, so for us, it seemed fit to be reconnaissance training course. It's modeled similarly. Um, nobody even really knows exactly how it's modeled. Obviously, they do a lot of shooting because their big thing is CQB, CQM. You know, they're just so proficient at that kind of stuff. And so for reconnaissance, it's a little bit different. Uh, so we're like, like I mentioned earlier, we're, I'm learning about a radio. I'm like, I'm not a radio guy. So, but that's, I was the radio guy, you know, coming on the team. I'm the sixth, you know, I'm the sixth position on the team and I'm the combo guy now as an 11 Bravo. So you learn radios, you learn computers, you learn all these programs that we use within the company. And so it's basically kind of like with the Delta Force, they start you day, day zero and they build you up into what they, they say, Hey, look, these are the standards. This is what we're going to teach you. Task condition standards go. If you make it, you make it. If you don't, you know, maybe you get another shot, maybe you don't. And so uh, we get done about, we started, what was it probably? Because I went to the basic course for military free fall um, late April, early May. And then we started a couple weeks after that. So that's about when we started. And then I think it was, I believe it was about eight or nine months is what it was. That whole process, you go, you know, doing traditional recce and, it's all these different phases within the course itself for the specific uh, training set or skill set that they're looking for. Like, hey, we're going to do, you know, marksmanship. We're going to work on uh, long guns or we're working on pistol or we're working on M4, you know, whatever it is. Or we're doing shotgun or we're doing demo, whatever <coughs> you want to call it. So each, each phase had its own, uh, you know, gates that you had to meet and you'd have a board. You know, after selection, that one was very fun. Two and a half hours of just getting teed off on because they had nothing but time. So you think about the worst interview you've ever had and then multiply that by 100 and you leave that place thinking you're the biggest piece of shit in the world and you're about to get kicked out of the Army. Sounds and then, like my RAS2 board 37. <laughs> and then <laughs> going to be a platoon sergeant, I was like, I'm fired. I'm fired. I'm, I'm going to let me call my wife real quick, tell her I'm, I'm done. Start packing. Yep, start packing. And so... Um, 
we pat we get through that um and then we had uh, what was it, like six guys that passed rtc and so we got spread out through the various teams i had one guy on my team that i went to rtc with and so we just started it from there getting getting uh, dropped in on the training cycle uh going through that and uh it was 2000 and it was after, so i did one deployment with rrc in 2010 that was my first deployment and then 2011 we were doing an mlat in uh Oh, it's on the border of Nevada and Utah right there. I think it's Wendover, maybe. Mm. I think it's like right on the border. And so it's super open, and we're doing an MLAT out there. And we have four-wheelers or quads, as people call them. And so we're going to do land where the four-wheelers are, where the DZSO is and everything. And then we're going to do a, a vehicle, you know, VDO, basically. It was like 60K. We were going to drive in on, on vehicles, stage them behind, do all that stuff. Well, the low man, a.k.a. the team sergeant at the time, he did what is called a downwind landing. So mm. we have a square parachute. We have a, a regular, not a static line parachute. We have a military uh, free fall type parachute, which is the exact same thing as a civilian skydiving rig. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an addition of a waistband just for equipment and whatnot. And so um, we're very, very big on briefing. Hey, this is how you're going to land. This is what you're going to do. And he did not do that. And so that was my big beef with that. But anyways, we're coming across the ground on final you're supposed to be into the wind, just like when you fly an airplane, you want to be into the wind so you can land, you know, safely and whatnot, and you're not just getting tossed around uh, with a tailwind. So we had a tailwind, and I was doing probably 35-plus miles an hour because I had a navigation board on my chest with a Garmin, and it showed my speed. And I was doing well well over 35 miles an hour at this point because we already had high winds. And I went one way, and my leg went the other way. Oh. And it was... Literally coming in hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about coming in hot. I was coming in hot, and I did not care at that point about... Like, I was trying to be quiet, you know, maintain, you know, noise light discipline and all that stuff. Mm. I, it was... And I've broken my tib fib on that same leg, too, and that did not hurt as bad as this one did. I'd rather break both tib fibs than do that one knee. That was the worst pain ever, and it just snaps all your ligaments. Mm. So, yeah, that was a good time. So, basically, I'd blown out every ligament in my knee. Um, and so, go back, get it all healed up. It was about an 18-month process. And so, during that time, during that healing process is when I went in, into selection and training section of RRC. I was the recruiter. I was helping out Mr. Rob Trimble. He's a civilian. He was in RRD back in 94 uh, time frame. What's that? Still there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Rob's, Rob's an angry old man. I love him. <laughs> Rob's good people, though. He is. Uh, He's he's a good dude, and so he's in a GS position there now, basically. And you know he's the OIC of selection and training, which which is great. And uh, so I hung out with him for a long time, uh, basically two years to to heal up. Because I mean it was I was, you know, like Jason said we have the best medical professionals in regiment, and so I, every day I, with our trainer uh, on the treadmill, like just doing physical therapy, just trying to get back at it. Cause I, I got to deploy again. So, you know, 2013 finally rolls around and I'm, I'm back at it and I get to jump again. And that first jump's a little sketchy, but yeah, life, life goes on, especially at night with the ruck on. And so, cause you have horrible, you know, flashbacks of that. So, um, but yeah, that, and you know, so I stayed there for about two years and then sported a lot of selections just in selection and training. And then when you're on a team, you still get tasked, you know, you, you plan out a year, year and a half in advance and say, hey, team three, team two, team one, you are going to support this selection. So then you know, hey, we're going to be up in northern Georgia for a month uh, doing our selection out there, So, which I, I actually enjoyed it. It sucks being away from your family and everything again, 
Um, but we would make uh, arrangements to meet them on the weekends or downtime, and we'd have some time off, meet them, hang out. North Georgia is always beautiful, so uh, did that. But even on the teams, you know, I supported I don't know how many selections. So you know, you're you're a team member, a team guy, and so you're you're the one sitting in the van all day, and so it's just the way it is. You know, you're doing your time, like you just said, and so it doesn't matter if you're in an E5 or an E8. You know, you're doing you're doing the work, and that's I also enjoyed that a lot because. Um, some places you do see the senior leadership kind of sham out, if you will, kind of be, be a kind of a dick bird if, if you call, if, if you want to go that route by <laughs> like they're they're like oh well I'm I have the rank I'm just gonna hang out over here and that's not how it works where we work no no and, that, and that's what I really enjoyed that you know you see senior leadership stepping up and he's doing everything you're doing he he's tr- gonna try to outdo you so that's that that's the the beauty of that uh, organization everybody's pushing each other and it's you can do a lot of things, but you got to be very careful because I'm, I'm uh, reaping the rewards of that right now in, in kind of a negative manner just from, you know, like we talked a lot about mental health on the first episode. So, yeah, um, but no, nah, I wouldn't change a single thing about it, though. It was, it was a good time. How many years did you end up staying? So I was there January 2009 and I left in April of 2017. Wow. Yeah, it was a long time. A lot of it. it it burned me out. I will absolutely admit it burned me out, and I did it to myself. I didn't know how to cope or deal with my own things going on, and so I just kept burning the candle at both ends. I'm like, is there a deployment to go on? I'm going. You know, TDY, let's go, because I was single at the time. I'd gotten divorced already, so um, the shitty thing was that I kept leaving my daughter, and so now I'm paying for that one. I, you know, caused a lot of pain on that, but, you know, be there when you can now. Yeah, you can't change the past. So, uh, but yeah, it was it was a long ride, and it, it is for someone to be in that in that uh, environment, and just like being on the line, you you deploy four, five, six months or whatever, you're home for what six, seven months, and then you're right back out the door. Like there's no you know dwell time of a year, year and a half. Like it's, <clears throat> and then on TD, not on TDY, excuse me, on your training cycles, are you sitting at home nine to five every day, Jason? Nah, no, you're rowing. Right, you're, you're <laughs> so. You get home, you go get your your uh, your leave in, and then basically the day after leave, we go on our jump trip to do our train up for airfield seizure. So this it's is my like, favorite part. I'm, I'm, the train up is always fun. Yeah, I smacked yeah. a gator with my face. Did you? As a jump master out there for ten, of course. I'm going to say that on air too. <laughs> did you? Uh, what is the, is the gator okay? Yeah, <laughs> the, is a four wheel gator type with a motor on it. <laughs> no, <I> just <laughs> I thought I uh, break that elephant in the room, but I um, hey, it's all good. I uh, I downsized in my shoot size, and I was uh, I I flared too late, and I had a thermal, and it kept me popped me up a little higher, and I was like, got target fixated. It's one thing we tell you not to do, you know. It's yeah. very easy to do with uh, those. I uh, I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna hit that. Oh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Smacked it right. I, I just turned like this, just barely just turned enough. And I, I, good thing I had a full face helmet on, but I, I, I busted the tail light off of it and the little plastic tailgate. I Damn. Pop, and I popped up like a jack in a box, though. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Even though it hurt <laughs> like a son I'm of a like, bitch. I'm like, I'm fucked up. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> good thing it was the last jump of the day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I 
cross the beer line, so that cost me. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, buying all the time masters a case of beer. I was like, oh, that gives my paycheck. Yep, yeah, that that was always a, a son of a bitch. Like even out where we did the training, even when we're doing our training, you crossed the we call it the thirty eighth parallel. A uh, few people know what that means, but. You cross that and it's over. You owe beer. If you mm-hmm. do this, it's beer. If it's your first jump trip, it's beer. It's like, oh my god! If you, we had the the pull cords, uh, right. the metal pull cords for the main canopy on the parachute. You drop that one. It's an eighty-seven dollar piece, right? You drop that one once. That they may give it to you, but you definitely owe beer. The second time, you owe the the eighty-seven dollars plus the beer. <laughs> Like it's brutal. It's like <laughs> skydiving. That's why all skydivers are so so broke because they're just buying beer constantly. That's right. That is true. Uh, I brought yeah. so much beer. Yeah, every time. Like, oh, that was your that was your two hundredth jump. That's the case. That's beer. beer. That's case of beer. <laughs> what yeah. the hell? Yeah. Like, first time out of a, a C seventeen case of beer. Yeah. Like what? This your first helicopter jump case of beer. I, you just start learning to say no, 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 no. I've got I got plenty. No, I, no, 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 not my first. Not my first. Yeah. 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 You learn that really quick. Yeah. How many uh, military free falls did you end up doing? So in uh, the company, I, I ended up with about four, I think it was 430. Four, four, yeah, around something like that. Wow. And in, that's, in the time that I was there, uh, actually isn't that much. We yeah. had guys, my buddy who I actually went to selection and RTC with, he's OPSAR major in Germany right now. He was closer to seven, 800 when he left. Now there's guys that have... In the thousands. Especially so the company itself has several military freefall uh, experts there, NCOIC, um, to help the program. Just like with airfield seizure, you know, you have to do a lot of uh, training and coordinating with all the battalions, with the air crews, all that stuff. And so we have an NCOIC. He will uh, be at every MLAT. He'll be at every jump trip. You know, it's his job to be the coordinator. And he, a couple of the guys that we had there, depending on who it was, anywhere from 1,000 to three to 5,000 jumps. And so... But that just goes to show you, like we talked about the medical professionals, you know, it's, it's where we are trying to operate in a higher uh, standard. And so we have to have these people there because yeah. you, can't, you can't have mediocre people around you and expect to, to, to be, be the best, you know. So, um, yeah, for me it wasn't that many jumps, but it, it seems like a lot of jumps. Uh, it's just a little bit different than static line. Like with, with military freefall, we jumped and jumped. Like, you know, Jason, we jumped and jumped and jumped, and we did – like ad nauseum with six seven jumps a day sometimes easy. depending on the weather but and it, my first jump trip we packed every parachute and that's a spring-loaded pilot chute your your hands are so fucked up after that like you've got just cracks and, and cuts good. because you're trying to stuff that <clears throat> stupid main pilot you know the the spring-loaded pilot chute in there and it was it was miserable but it's like trying to get 10 pound shit in five gun. Mm-hmm. yeah because you can't pack you don't know how to pack <laughs> a parachute like they show you but it's it's hot garbage so i'm like all these lines uh-huh yeah. Oh, I, I mean, it'll pop, and I got another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like now. Like I have a civilian, you know, I have my own rig and everything, and it's much smaller and everything. And and I don't pack that thing very nicely. They, yeah. The manufacturer actually says to kind of trash pack it, that's as they say. Wow. I make all make sure all my lines are all you know squared up. Everything's good. Cocoon it, you know, not too tight, and then just fold it up, and it goes right in there, and she opens beautifully. After I became a freefall jump master, I was like, yeah, shit, just shove it in there. Yep. Hold the lines, get them all in somewhat in order, A, B, C, D lines, mm-hmm. control lines, as long as those are straight, fold up that, cram that sheet in the bag, and mm-hmm. get on the bird. It'd be good. As long <laughs> as there's people that uh, they have specific canopies, and I know you know know about this, they have specific canopies that are quite small, very sporty, mm-hmm. 
you pack that thing wrong and and you know you're doing 100 plus miles an hour and that thing comes out and it fires wrong and it's it's either hung up or you have a line over the canopy you could actually go into a violent death spin to where you're you're passed out and that's it like hopefully your your automatic activation device fires but that it's they're very finicky so i'll tell you what i'm not i mean i'm on the, the uh i wouldn't even i'm on the silver wings but i'm not having jumped yeah wow but um there's guys on, on there on the team that are just outstanding mm-hmm. like jumpers and skydivers and same with the in, in rc but everybody wants to talk about skydiving like there's when you really get into like the good guys like i mean I, i'm at 500 uh around there and then i got 85 static line jumps which, mm-hmm. is, which is a lot that's disgusting and uh <laughs> it is that's, that's way too many that's way too many it is way too many that's why i'm broken all exactly over. But, uh, but um and you get into the skydive world like there's dudes that are just amazing skydivers and they jump like pillowcases it looks like and mm-hmm. it's just screaming in at like 90 mile an hour across the ground and then they're walking out mm-hmm. i'm like see i'm all about the ride to the ground so i'm like once i'm once the, once i get the chute open i don't give a damn what size it is okay like, yeah. i'm like yeah let's just enjoy this little cadillac all the way to the ground <laughs> and i'll go back up and it goes fall again like but that's how I am, but those guys jump those little shoots, man. I'm talking like my size, jumping like a 77. Mm-hmm. So they try to do like, like a wing load. It's like if you're 20, 200 pounds, like you know, a good shoot probably. If you're not a very good skydiver, be like a 230, 260, or a 200 to wing load at one and one. And that's and, in square footage, is yeah. In the what he's talking about, the 230. And, and those guys that are my size jump, you know. 70s, 80s, oh, yeah. 100s. 90s, yeah, 96 like, Valkyries are very popular. And it's it's unreal because you can get yourself in a bad spot. Even if you have a good canopy and you're under canopy and you're flying, everything's fine. You do that right there too aggressively, you can actually get tangled up in your parachute and you're going to be a lawn dart very quickly. Or you get like a rolling crosswind off, mm-hmm. of, like a, off of the uh, building or something that you're you know, cut in front of or a thermal and... I mean, it's just a look. It's only about that big. It's like mm-hmm. it's going to collapse. So, so why do they <clears throat> to do the the, the thrill? They yeah. So it's what they use it for is swooping. Yeah. So they'll they'll be a couple two two three hundred feet or whatever above the ground, and they'll start to initiate the swoop. They'll you know they flare. Yeah. They, they'll some guys will go rear brakes or brake hard, get in the fronts, bring the knees up, and then what basically what you're doing is you're taking the front end of the canopy, you're tilting it straight towards the earth, and you're you're parallel with the earth, going like this, basically is what you're doing in a circle. And then some guys use uh, risers, some guys use the, the toggles, but they'll actually flare it out, and then that's where you come across the ground and you skim across the pond, and, and you know, they'll they'll actually, like, turn. And We're go through pylons. Fast. It's yeah, 60, 70 miles. Unreal. Hour. One of our instructors, uh, very well known in the community. He's probably at, I don't know, eighteen, twenty thousand jumps at this point. But yeah, Steve's awesome. No, it's uh, Jim. Uh, Jim Vance. Oh, Vance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jim, he's awesome. He's he and and Sarah. Sarah's unreal. Like a hummingbird in the sky. Absolutely unreal. But like you know, they're they're swooping and like it's five feet gap. And this the five feet gap is two trucks. Not like pylons that, that you can hit and you'll be fine. No, he this this is two the the truck, uh, our, our government trucks, two twenty five hundreds, and he's like, yeah, five feet apart. I'm like, okay. I was like, you know, if you hit this gym, um, that's on you. <laughs> like you can't you could this this is you. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. This is out at the land in Florida. He just comes in. He does it over and over. Just 
just screaming, coming to you like 60 miles an hour, right between the trucks, just laughing. Mm-mm. Like, about that you son of a bitch. <laughs> so I'm, I'm starting to. I've got a 135 uh, square foot parachute, and I'm starting to learn the dives and everything. I'm not trying to get crazy with it. Um, I, I enjoy the free flying. Me and too. then uh, that's my life. I don't do the RW like relative where everybody's flying on their bellies doing the points. Like, I'm not too. I like that stuff. Uh, I jump a 190 for a sports rig and hey, you know, Star Trek for my you know team rig and I'm good with that. Oh yeah, well and that's the thing. <laughs> you can actually be incredibly accurate with that 190 more so than with that small 96. So so well, let me back up. Let's say you know <laughs> I'm I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I can't do it worth a damn. Uh, I'm a new guy, whatever you want to call it. So two two thirty, two forty. I've got a lot more square footage than that. Yeah, you'd probably jump at two sixty. Mm-hmm. So so at two sixty, um, what's the disadvantage of that? You just come in kind of slow, and and it's just not as thrill. Is that what the problem is? It's forward. It's, it's ratio. How fast it drops glide out of the ground ratio. and glide ratio is slower. Yeah, because so like what Jason was talking about earlier, that glide ratio of the the wing loading of the wing itself. So. With mine, I'm at like a 1.5 because you take your total weight and you divide it by the size of the canopy. Well, you don't want it to be too incredibly high because then you're just going to lawn dart into the earth. This is supposed to be safe for a new jumper. So even if you wouldn't flare with that parachute, you would still be somewhat okay. Like you may break a foot or roll an ankle or whatever, but it's designed for safety really because your your forward drive is so much slower on a 260. Now you go a, a 160, your forward drive, your glide ratio is much, much quicker. Mm-hmm. And so it's really for, for safety because you're, you're brand new. You, and I think about it like new jumpers. I see them and I'm like, that's some scary shit right that's there. Cringe. It, it cringe. Like I cringe so bad, but like, I mean, that's pretty much what I did. We did one time. Yeah, yeah sure. we did. We went into the wind tunnel, the vertical wind tunnel for a little bit. And they're like, Hey, put this parachute on and this yellow banana suit. And guess what? You're jumping out of the airplane. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, civilian, you got to do a tandem. You got to do all this stuff or whatever. But these guys that just hold on to you. You're like ready, set, go. You come out the plane. They're holding on to you. So, in the event that you just completely freak out, you know they're going to stabilize you. And then if all goes to shit, they're just going to get away from you. You have an automatic activation device for a reason. So first thing, first thing they teach you in free fall school is save your own life. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do anything else, if you don't save try to turn, life. if you don't track, if you don't do any of that other shit that you have to do to pass the test, just pull your damn parachute yes save your life because people go into screensaver mode man mm-hmm. they're just like oh the little the little screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> they're just sending it uh, they're I've, like i'm supposed to do something but i don't know what it is you know jason have, have you seen those videos i'm sorry to cut you off yeah. but those videos are the guys with that exact exact moment in time <laughs> on the video they're look they're like looking at the camera and it's just the wheel of death That's it's right. just spinning there <laughs> on the windows machine they're like yeah like what do i do like Pull the parachute, you dumbass. Just save your life. Get silk out there. That's, get, that's what they always say. Get silk out. Get something out there to slow you down. Slow that rate of descent. If it's half the thing, then it's half of it. At least you'll be half as dead, I guess. I don't know. But, but the like, good thing is whenever you jump with, like, a new guy, right? So, I, like, I, I don't have the license to jump with new guy. I can jump with a, uh, an A-licensed guy and, can't, and video him because I can do that. But um, And give some coaching. That's, that's where I'm at. But, uh Eventually, I'll get where it is if my body stays without breaking. But good um, luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have uh, AFFIs, Advanced Free Fall Instructors, and they and they can actually fly up to you. Like if you're all twisted up and shit, and you know you're like tumbling, and you can't uh, flatten out and arch out, 
they can fly up to you, turn you on your stomach, get you all stable, give you thumbs up, and then if you're like just scared shit, let's say they'll fly over, get you stable, and pull your parachute for you. So you're gonna jump with those guys for a while, for like I don't know, ten jumps or something mm-hmm. until like you might be a little rocky boat in the water, you know. But they they'll know that you can like stabilize, stay flat, and pull your parachute, and then after that you can start jumping with a coach. So, but you, you're gonna jump with guys who have way more jumps than I'll probably ever have. Yeah, but. If you want to get free fall qualified, go to, uh, go to be a special forces selection or something like that because it's going to save you about $30,000 in the civilian world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It is unreal expensive. Like, yeah, I'm getting s- my license where I'm at now with 500 jumps, like, it would have been solid. Well, so that three that $30,000. So, oh, so think about it. Like, okay, let's say just lift tickets, right? Your lift ticket's 25 to 30 bucks, right? 25 to $30. Roughly. You yeah. know, right, yeah. I mean, Silver Wings they get obviously get hooked up and everything. I get that, but like typical typical drop zones is twenty five thirty bucks or so, which is a good price. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's your own equipment though, but that's times you know five hundred, mm. and so <laughs> you know, and that's like the minimum to get your D license, and that's when you can start getting your ratings, like tandem rating, your free fall instructor rating. You can do the videographer rating much much earlier, but. Skydiving is, is like one. It's so expensive. It is so expensive. If you don't get your license in the army, exactly. And I mean, there's people spending twenty, thirty grand, like like at the drop of a hat. Just so is, is that the reason why, or is it totally different? Why some of these? Guys, I always wonder why these some of these guys do free base. Why do they do base jumping? You know, and stuff. No uh, lift ticket. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. I think it's a lot more dangerous. I ain't never doing that. No, I'm good. I'll do it once. I, I said I'll do it once. It's got to be really high, but I'll do it once and that's it. I bungee jumped once. I haven't even done that nah, yet. Nah, it was negative <laughs> for that. You're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. One, really? One and done. Wait, so wait, you're free falling. Yeah. Isn't it, how different is it than bungee jumping? Because you're attached to a damn rubber band. Yeah. <laughs> you, only, you only have one. <laughs> well, that's it. There's no backup. But literally committing suicide. You know what I mean? Like you're on your way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, to think about it, like uh, with a parachute, you got two parachutes, right? Yeah. So you have two chances. I packed one and somebody, I think, more qualified than yeah. me packed the other one. <laughs> he should be. <laughs> should be. It only cost yeah. me a bottle of Jack Daniel Fern to pack it, so that may be a problem. But I didn't. Yeah, my, that's my, hopefully you didn't drink it, but beforehand yeah tomatoes tomatoes whatever yeah well they what does the rigor always say the parachute wants to open yeah okay all right well i'm gonna put it out there then we'll see what happens i hate so. when they say that when i see a t11 i'm like yeah i thought you said it wanted to open yeah and it's just it's like a cigarette roll just coming into earth but we do have the best riggers too and the, uh, the riggers that go out to those trips with them man that they know they're they're also like really qualified in the mm-hmm. free fall and they know everything about the parachutes and most of them are like Tunnel masters and mm-hmm. uh, uh, AFFIs and tandem yeah, masters. tandems. So AFFI, when, you, when you when somebody's working on your parachute, that you're getting the best guy in, in the mm-hmm. world, in my opinion. To if he's going to touch my shit, like that's the guy I trust to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's uh, in 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 the in the course itself versus being in the civilian course, getting your A license within I don't know 10, 15 jumps or whatever. We're starting to jump with combat equipment rucksacks and whatnot and that that it's like as a civilian you don't even touch that ever yeah and yeah. so you're adding a whole nother d- level of difficulty and that's when the shit show really rucksack rodeo mm. Ooh, 
dudes are all over the place. I'm nothing sure you like, saw that, Jason. Nothing like 18,000 feet backed out at night and yep. full combat equipment wall locker with OT. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is going to be interesting. Yep, this is going to be an interesting jump. It's pitch black, and you got <laughs> your little green dots there for your knots. That are fogged up, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see shit. <laughs> I think I'm falling in the right direction. Yep. <laughs> you just looking at your altimeter, making sure, yep, we're losing altitude. Yeah, so definitely okay. falling. Yep, all right. I'm not dead yet. No, it's, it's a much, much different experience at night, yeah. especially when there's no loom. Oh, my gosh. It uh, definitely takes the pucker factor up another notch. Did you guys ever do uh, hey-ho? Oh, yeah. That that was primarily our uh, method. Like, we, that was – so even, like, on the jump trip itself during the day, we would do a lot of – we wouldn't wear all the equipment, so we would just put the rucksack on just to practice. So we'd maybe go up to eight, ten thousand 10,000 feet. we do a hop and pop. You do the hey-ho, high-altitude eye-opening. You jump out, and then you're just floating. And so you're stacking. Because you, we always wanted to make sure everybody stacked. Because that mm-hmm. way, if everybody stays together and is all traveling in the same direction, then we don't have any, you know, issues. Collisions. Yeah, collisions. Because at night, number one in the day, like the amount of accidents that happen in, in, the, in the day is crazy. And like it's daytime and you don't see these people. Mm-hmm. And so, and at night, you're not going to see shit. Like it's un, like it's so, so dark. But thankfully, you're you, damn sure looking harder, though. I can oh guarantee my, Yeah. You've never looked at the sky so hard in your life. Oh, man. You're just like, <laughs> you're like, where's red? Where's red? Yeah. Where's your yeah. You know what I mean? Where's the I? Yeah. Or like we would, we would just, where's the IR? IR, just where we're, you know. And then sometimes we would do at a certain altitude, you know, it's like, hey, look, we, during our training and whatnot, we just black out because we try it. Hey, look, how does how did that work? How does it work with IR? How does it work with this? Mm-hmm. And so you're di- you're trying different methods and whatnot, and it's very difficult because you're you're not jumping on an airfield. You're jumping on an unmarked drop zone. Yeah, an unmarked drop zone. Like you're jumping where they they give you the coordinates and say, hey, this is where you're going to be jumping, and then you as the primary and the assistant jump master, you have to plan that out for your team, and so you better better be shit hot on all your you know. Uh, your jump uh, jump duties and everything being a, a master rated jumper you know having your uh, jump master rating because it's on you and then when you lay in short the, who are they going to look at you and so i've done that several times knock on wood on any of my free fall jumps i never had nobody make it, not make it back to the drop zone oh we did it so <laughs> but, many times but i did i did uh screw one of my buddies i won't mention his name but he is a rigger <clears throat> and uh he uh I didn't make it back to the drop zone, and he put me, he put us out. Uh oh. He was like, You just jacked up my record. I was like, <laughs> Well, I want to say you went long. That's going to, it's all your fault. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I would say. <laughs> it was definitely my fault. However, I'll admit that now, but <laughs> at the time, I was sticking to my guns. I would too. <laughs> to your guns, no. I'd say, Hey, that was, you went long. Exactly. No, we, we we landed in the and it happened either somebody have a malfunction or we'd have like wonky winds like we'd be you know 18 20 kilometers away from the objective and so it's like you get some weird wind shifts or it dies down drastically and then it's like hey guys we're making a decision you know we and we'd have all of our through the planning process you have all your gates like hey you know if we get it to this point this is where we're going if we get to that point that's where we're going you know type deal just to have those measures in place and Never really had any big issues. Uh, it's just fun kind of actually landing in the middle of the desert somewhere and, and you end up in some dude's field. And then three hours later, you finally get picked up. And so, because you landed in the worst pot and you're like, well, I can't see, it's dark. So you can't land close to the road when it's just all like weird black and gray lines and tan. And you're just hoping you don't hit a damn fence or, or power lines, you know. I've so, seen dudes hit fences. 
I, I, yeah, right here. Kicked a fence. Nine stitches. Mm. Yeah, that was a good time. I bent eight-foot chain link fence. <laughs> yeah, three days later, I'm jumping again. It's a good time. I, uh, <clears throat> so I went to, uh, I went out to Yuma for a free fall school. I didn't have the opportunity to go to the <clears throat> cool one. Um, we don't talk about the difference in the people that go there, but at the, at the end of the day, there's two different ones, and one of them is really good to go to, and the other one is like um, uh, a McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> Great value versus <laughs> name brand. Qual, uh, quality and quantity are two different things. You know yeah. what I mean? so if you go one place, you get one. You go to the other place, you get the other. But uh, by our 10th jump, we're testing out mm-hmm. of things, and you're like, I still don't know how to put the damn parachute on. Yeah, <laughs> ten, ten jumps. Yeah, yeah. At ten jumps, you're, you're doing your uh, graded extra, your great full wall locker, and um, it's, I was like, so wild. this is insane. But um, yeah, it was a good time, <laughs> and uh, and you're packing all your shoots and stuff. But uh, <clears throat> uh, my buddy Tim, I'll, uh, I'll I'll tell a story about him because I won't say his last name. But he's Tim. He's a we went to free fall school together. He's an SF dude. I will say that, but. Uh, we were on our very first jump, and you know, nervous shit. I've done one tandem since, you know. Like, I actually, uh, nobody knows this, but I, I, on the C twenty seven, I, I literally felt like I was like, oh man, I'm gonna fucking pass out, you know. And that's a safety violation. Like, you, you wake up on the ground and you're still on the bird, you're going to the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I retch up uh, on the seat to pull myself up, you know. And I was like, you know. And when I did, my finger got smashed like a son of a bitch because we were taking off in the uh, like in the seat. You know, I was like, oh, but it kept me from passing out. So every time, like the first five jumps, everybody's like, go to sit up in the end. I was like, get out of my way. Get out of my way. <laughs> and I put my hand in there like a damn credit card, dude. <laughs> Just and so you feel the pain. As we're taking off, I'm like, ow. Get yeah. awake. Because, <laughs> you know, you're stand up pretty quickly. I was like, I just got to make it out there. That's all <laughs> I got to do. That's a funny that's, one. But that's awesome. As we're falling, uh, the, the the second time, or the very first jump we had, I'm sorry, uh, we we all get out and you just, you're like, you just say, this guy, I was like, what the hell? And uh, moving. <laughs> he, uh, he cut away. And uh, he, we get down to the ground and, you know, we're packing up our shit. And, Hey, Tom, you good, dude? He's like, oh, man, I had a cutaway. I was like, on your first jump? Holy shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, man, I was just spinning out of control. And the, the, uh, the instructor came back into the packing uh, map area, and he's holding his um, shoot up and his uh, control lines, the you have unstowed brakes, so if you have if you, when you unstow your brakes, you flare like gives you control. But if during the sequence it opens or you don't stow it when you pack it or whatever, and you, your chute opens and you got one stowed brake and one not, one's high and one's low, so you'll turn in the direction that the one's still stowed. Mm-hmm. So uh, he had an unstowed brake. So he thought well, he was tied up. Well, yeah, but he wasn't. No, because on an unstowed brake, you just reach up and unstow the other brake, mm-hmm. and now you're good to go. Yeah, then. You know, do your canopy checks and you're good. But very first jump, he's like, I'm spinning. And he's like, and he just fucking cuts away. He's like, send yep. it. Perfectly good shoot. And, uh, <laughs> yep. And um, like he said earlier, you just want to get as much silk out as you can. And Yeah. And do whatever you can. If I was spinning, I would have reached up and grabbed the risers to pull down on this side to stop mm-hmm. the spin. But, you know, your very first jump, you're just freaking the hell out. Anyway, uh, he got that ripcord handle to take home. Oh, he got a souvenir. Huh? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
He's like, yeah, I had an unstowed break. And they're like, that's your one. Oh, they didn't even make him buy beer? Mm-mm. Damn. I just still made him buy beer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I gave him shit for the rest of the class, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just told him yesterday, too. He's a great guy, man. He's a, he's, he's a great dude. He's a good leader. And it's just nice to, it, when you think about you know, funny stuff that you go to and things you, you get to see people all the time different because in a small community and you just give shit, people shit about. I mean, they call me Gator. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. like if I go yeah. to RRC and the older guys that were there, uh, I do remember Paul. Ta- you guys were talking about that. That's your nickname, Gator, because yeah. I smacked a Gator with my face. <laughs> hey, everybody, everybody's got a nickname for a reason. <laughs> hey, it's a badass nickname, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, I, if nobody else knows it, yeah, and you just hear Gator, I'll be like, Gator. That's me. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Just don't tell me, don't make me tell the story. <laughs> yeah, don't tell the story. Well, now thousands of people are going to know. They're like, hey, Gators, like, this is what we're doing. Well, I have, ba- I had basically the exact same thing happen. I had a break fire. Uh, it was on a non standard. It was like a 190. What's a break fire? Basically the same thing, what he's just talking about, just a different way to explain it or a d- different way to uh, describe it, I guess. Mine, so parachute's a little bit smaller. That one's about a 360. Uh, this one's about is 190. And so. Uh, I'm packing the parachute. I come out and I'm only at probably about 150, 150 jumps. And I'm still, I, you don't know shit at 150 jumps. Nothing. I don't you know shit at 500. Exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm in that, I'm in your ballpark as well of jumps. And I'm, I feel like I don't know anything yet. You know, even having, I think I'm at six something right now. And I still feel like I don't know that much. I can, I, I guarantee I can fly a ruck, oh, you yeah. know, cause I, I, I did that ad nauseum, you know, in the tunnel, out of the tunnel and all that stuff. And so, it's it's one of those things that it's just you learn how to do it and i just that's I, the first badge everybody always has yeah the a, mff jam yeah. what is that well the first thing they saw when they saw the picture they naturally assumed that you were in rrc mm-hmm. because of the free fall typical yeah. yeah i just got I, I was very fortunate my with my free fall slot uh i was a platoon sergeant and and alpha company and um we did the senior nco thing <clears throat> and uh me and uh Sergeant major johnson were in a boat together we we're rowing the boat literally well he was mm-hmm. that dude never stopped rowing the entire three miles i'm i'm like over here like feeble arms and he's just like a <laughs> damn motor you're like he's like you? he's like go ahead Belford, you're good just take a break and I, he just never stopped so it's the machine uh, in, in the midst of letting him do all the work <laughs> i uh I found a great opportunity to ask him if I could go to free fall school. And I felt like he had been a hypocrite if he'd have said no, considering he had it. Oh, so, good call. I was like, this is, this is it. You know, I was like, if you can swing, swing big. Yeah, you know? swing, swing to the fences. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like silence. I was like, I'm fucked. I'm going to die. He's going to put me in the water. <laughs> Not only is he, you know, a badass, he's going to drown me. He's yeah. going to be like, we couldn't find him. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's an amazing accident. Yeah, he's, he's an amazing leader. And he, uh, he, his only comment was, if you have a job after TFT, I'll think about it. And I was like, TFT's like the teams aren't Super Bowl, you know? And I was like, oh, well, that's shit. You know, that's, <laughs> that's a... That's a huge one, you know. It all weighs on that one, you like, son of a bitch. And then he killed me on that on a on a on the mission on the last mission of TFT. Did he? Yeah, he's like, Don't Street. move, take your radios off, you're dead, don't say a word. Oh shit. And I was like and I've I've you know, after this was I'd already been in regiment eleven years probably by then and um I'd seen many of the Toontarns that got killed during TFT training and they uh yeah, they they're um, they're now doing their charter time. <laughs> and, uh, <I'm, laughs> I was like, I'm done. 
And then at the end, you know, he gave the AR and he, he's like, hey, you did a good job and uh, enjoy school. Damn. Like, that just happened. Hell yeah. I was still like, that still, didn't, wow. So still that, reeling from it. That's the story everybody asks. So, so let me ask you this, Jason. Do you think, just because I hear the word platoon sergeant, um, do you think that, like, they started doing that for a reason on TFT? Started schwacking the, the uh, platoon sergeant? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> and, and you know, explain what TFT is for those who are listening. Task force training is like accumulative at the end of the. It's like a valix, like a validation exercise. Yeah. You know, I think it, uh, you know, I'm I'm not the first person to say this, and it was told to me, and uh, I just carry it on, you know. But uh, you, one of the things that he he said, you know, he's like a a true tell of a leader is how how good your platoon does without you, mm-hmm. um, and. If you've done the right you know, mentoring and, and, and trained your guys right throughout the time, and you've been it'll there, shine. it'll show. And if they completely bolo it, then that'll show as well. And I really probably didn't teach them shit. They were just really good. So <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> I love good rangers. So I was like, man, I'm glad you guys really crushed that. You really figuratively and literally put me on the litter, mm-hmm. carried my ass, you know. So uh, I just had an amazing platoon and, and two alphas. Uh, you know, the greatest platoon I've ever been a part of. And I got that too that says the same. And, you know, we call them the boys, you know, and like, the you, boys. you know, uh, it's called, uh, we started, you know, we started saying the two alpha standard all the time. And um, one of the things I've done, you know, as leaders, when I get to where I'm going, and uh, I'm sure we'll probably hear on, uh, on Instagram <laughs> some of my sayings, but um, I would, I, I want people to buy in, right? To my philosophy, if you will, you know, <clears throat> whatever that may be. Some of them I probably shouldn't say, so I won't because I'm still in the army. But, <laughs> um, but I would those guys, you know, they would buy into that and they would give them like, like ownership in what we were doing or what I was trying to get across. And uh, so we were doing layout one day, and you know, I just took over. And I was like, that's not the two alpha standard, and I just kept saying that everywhere we went. And then when I was like, if I never did anything. Uh, it gave me a sense of pride. Like I heard the uh, team leaders were um, corrective training uh, in the back. Yeah. And uh, um, I heard one of them say, you know, it's not the fucking two alpha standard. I don't care what the rest of the platoons do. And I was like, like yeah, I have made it. <laughs> I have made it. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, I look up to every one of those guys, you know, every one of those guys are, 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 are are going to or are probably better leaders than I'll ever be. Yeah. Those young kids and they, they were awesome when I was there, and they're better now than I. For me, probably not being there, I don't know. But I that that one fucking moment gave me that like wow, you know. And I was like, hmm, yeah, I did do something right. <laughs> Even if they didn't like my leadership, they still got something that gave them a sense of pride in the platoon, you know, and that yeah. built that cohesion. And uh, and Sergeant Major with uh, Johnson was saying uh, in in front. Uh, of my speech when he's going out, when I was going out as a platoon sergeant, you know, he's like, hey, you know, one thing, if, when two alphas are around, you got the two alpha standard and it's always going to be upheld, you know? And it never was anything special. It was literally the standards enforcing the standard, you yeah. know? But when we add that sense of purpose to it and like ownership, they just took a bite of it and they were like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. That discipline. And we're going to be better than everybody else doing it. So yeah, it's amazing I'm how very people prideful for that. Yeah. No, that's amazing, and it's it's amazing how um, 
people of the main, same mindset, they gravitate towards that. You know, they're gravitating towards that that mindset of that. And to me, it's a discipline thing because yeah, you're you're just enforcing the standards, but these guys are are taking it. You know a notch up and they're like, look, this it, it's either this or it's not like, we're not going to let shit slide. And that's, you know, that, that's a tes- testament to his leadership, you know, and that's, and that's something that my, I don't know, maybe one of my guys did something that I showed him or whatever. I don't know. I've never had Positive. that, you know, I positively have. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and it's, it's because of, you know, just like Jason is saying, we're trying to make these guys better than us. And so they don't see it that way. Most of them don't. I didn't see it that way when I was a, a young, you know, young private. And so um, that's that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Just like with you, with with your kids, I'm, I'm learning that with my dad. And you know, going down the line, it's like all you want to do is do a little bit better than what you had or what you're, you know, always go better. Give yeah. it, give your kid, you know, make it better for your kid. Make if it better you're for aware your of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If yeah. you're conscious, <laughs> if you're aware of it, if you're living in the moment and noticing that, because you yeah. see a lot of people that just end up oh, becoming yeah. their father or no, becoming their, you have to have a growth mindset to do that. Though. Yeah. That, and that's, I think I feel like in regiment and, and special operations there, there's a lot more of those, you know, per capita, if you want to go that route, like there's a lot more people in that organization. There are those guys that, you, they they follow orders and that's what they do mm-hmm. and and that is all they want to do and that's yeah. perfectly fine. We need those kind of guys, but we also need guys with that growth mindset and that's kind of why I gravitated towards RRC because it was more they more so let you kind of roam freely than hey you're gonna have to walk exactly in this boundary. This is kind of what we need and this just execute. Obviously they would say no, you can't do X Y and Z. You can't you know you got to stay within the legal bounds and you know moral and ethic ethical bounds but it's just that, that's the beauty of it you know the, you're in special operations and you're you're hanging out with a little bit older guys and you're working with older you know team members and whatnot and it just ends up working out better uh because you guys have so many you got so many guys that are handpicked at this point that have that mindset and when they come together it's very powerful why didn't you end up going to like uh jsoc or something because the you know, it's very similar in the sense mm-hmm. of you know, you're not you don't have those standard roles. I mean, when you go through selection, you do, you've got kind of a training schedule, but they don't tell you what to wear, or what the you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just a different mindset. So why didn't you end up? Uh, so the reason I did, I had my application, or did you even have a uh, yeah? So did you have an appetite for it? Let's put oh, it absolutely, first. absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, Delta Force was uh, always in the works as far as like something that yeah. uh, would eventually happen. Um, 2010, my daughter came along, so that uh, threw a big wrench in yeah, it. That's life changing. It is. It's very life changing. And then 2013, I'm divorced, and I'm like trying to figure out what I'm going to do, and I'm never home, and I'm like, is is going a selection for something that's going to move me away from Fort Benning? Yeah. Is that the best thing? I know a lot of guys that have done it before and they're like, Oh yeah, my kid's fine. And that's cool. Whatever you do, you do you, I'm going to do me and I can't do that. And so basically what it boiled down to was my daughter. Yep. Yeah. That, uh, <clears throat> right decision. I've been asked the same question, you know, like why didn't you ever get it? Uh, I used to be in good shape, believe it or not. <laughs> not, <laughs> not as broken. <laughs> not as broken. Yeah. Um, and uh, saying that is he shifting around oh, because yeah. of his hips. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Like a cat on a hot, rock over here but um no I've, I've been asked you know several times like hey why didn't you go to selection or whatever but uh first they probably wouldn't want me because my mentality is all you know i'm pretty <laughs> I'm, I'm a standard driven type guy you know like, um i can think i i do think outside the box but 
I'm more like, nah, I'd rather cut my hair. And I yeah. like to grow a sick beard, though, but I'm all about cutting my hair. Um, <laughs> no, it, the, uh, <laughs> no, but, um, my son uh, was a huge influence on me. You know, when I uh, went through my divorce, I was um, I was in the best shape of my life. And uh, he was like, aren't you gone enough? And I was like, I'm done. That's it. Yep. yep. Uh, somebody's got to yeah. be a ranger company first aren't yeah <laughs> yeah literally and i was like you know because I, I was so selfish you know I, I felt so selfish that i was like doing it that way and when he said you know aren't you gone enough and don't you know that you know, we're all proud of you and i was like yeah done done yeah exactly you know i i think that every one of us hits that at some point or at least some of us hit a, uh, hit that at some point. And I mean, even in my career, it was, uh, I had just gotten out of the service and I've spoke about this in previous past podcasts and stuff, because I'm, I'm pre nine 11. I had gotten out in 2001 retired and only a few months prior to September. And when it kicked off, I wanted to go back, but it was the same thing. My family said, what the hell are you trying to prove? You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But we, we joined for that, we join because we want to keep pushing ourselves and push well, some of us push mm-hmm. pushing the envelope and seeing Absolutely. how far we can go and see what the ceiling really is and everything. And then at some point you you realize maybe you're not living in the moment. Mm-hmm. You're living for yourself and your families are usually the first one to <clears throat> suffer. Yeah. And, and re- hopefully remind you of that. Right. Yeah. And I did the exact same thing when I got out. I still hadn't learned it well enough because I did the exact same thing in the private sector started climbing the corporate ladder, killing everything alongside me because I was going towards a specific goal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've shared this on multiple episodes when someone, you know, you know, very close said, you know, it's good to have you back. When I finally realized that um, that was the moment I realized that I had been going in the wrong direction, that I had forgotten everybody around me once again, mm-hmm. and I was driven. And it's something we've got to do checks and balances on. Yeah, get your asthma um, checked. Yeah, and, and it's sometimes it's a friend that can help you do that mm-hmm. or a loved one. Thankfully, you had a son that was old enough to say it in your case. Yeah. It was just seeing your daughter, yeah. knowing, all right, that's where, that's my compass right there. That's where oh, I need yeah. to go. You know, Absolutely. I, For me, yeah. too, like the, re- the reason I was going to go give it a shot had, had nothing to do with all the special stuff. I was like, if this bond... And the team that I'm in right now, or the, the squad that I you know, led, was that tight, you know. Um, imagine, and we worked at this level. Imagine going to the next level and working in a team that is even, you know, more tight. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You see each other like, even more. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, man, we, how much more lethal could you get? And I, yeah, I, I love. But then, you know, it's interesting too, though. Like when. Um, in the case of Chris Van Sant, who's been on the podcast multiple times, you know, when Chris um, was asked to leave JSOC and end up having to go back to the 82nd and everything. I, I remember list, I listened to that episode. It was a great episode. Yeah, he, you know, it was kind of the, the pain of that, of him realizing that he was at the tip of the spear and then what do you do now? And so we talked about that, you know, with Ray McPadden, you know, about, you know, it. At some point, you know, you're, you're running and gunning really hard, and then all of a sudden you slam on the brakes and you decide to get out. And that's that's a major step up. I mean, it's almost yeah. like the car is going 80 miles an hour and you jump out the door. Yeah, it just hit a wall and you I'm went gonna, out the damn windshield. I'm going to tell you how that feels on Tuesday. 
<laughs> yeah. I'll be honest with you, man. Like, you know, I, I, I built my life on this, you know, where I love this organization, man. I, yeah. I give my life for it, you know, and I, uh, it, it made me, you know, it made me in the man I was as a, you know, young E5, E6, you know, and it made me in the man that I was as an E7. And it's, it's turned me into, you know, having the leadership and development that um, the man that I, I think I'm, I am now and, and better going forward. You know, like I said, my mind is better every day. And yeah. um, it, it is, it's given me everything in my life. And, uh, I, you know, I was writing my speech uh, yesterday and, I man, it was hard, you know. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I got a couple of pages, and I was like, I, this is gonna be rough, you know. And it, but yet, it doesn't define you. No, it doesn't. But um, and I'll always be a ranger, you know. Yeah. There's in my my um, story of, you know. You got the scroll tattooed on your arm. I do not, but oh, I do okay. have a badass uh, DUI Spartan. On nice. my right arm, but um, nice. anyway, it's literally a half sleeve, but um, it'll be with me everywhere. But, you know, I, I just kind of reflecting back and I, I was, uh, I was kind of bottling that up and like, yeah. and, and not facing it. And I was talking to Dave about it. I talked to Dave about everything, but um, he, because we've been working on some stuff and he's like, I want you to just stop, you know, and just enjoy these last few days uh, that, that you're, there and why you're there and and spend the time like reflecting back when you're driving and he's like if you have to cry it out who cares you know like you earned it you know mm-hmm. and i really took that to heart you know and i was like because i know the hardest thing i'm ever going to do in the next three or four or five weeks is when i fucking take my tambourine off you know yeah and i have the same i have the original tambourine i donned uh in rip i've mm-hmm. been wearing it the entire time damn yeah, that must it, be a it, stinky ass. Yeah, it, it, it it's not even that faded, man. I take care of my shit, care of equipment, right? The two alpha standard, two alpha standard, two alpha standard, care of equipment. That's man. right. Still, Febreze is a great thing. It is, but, uh, it absolutely is. But yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was gonna say something about that, and I thought, nah, it's not that big of a deal. But I was gonna say, you're switching headgears. In some cases, who's wearing it as long as, as as you have, it is a big deal. It's the biggest deal in my life. Yeah, right and you look because it symbolized look. something. You guys were told when it was given to you that every day you earn this, and you know you screw up. That's it's, it. Put your uh, put your bad decision in this sand, your tanberry in the other, and see which one weighs the most. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing that 15 years. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's exactly one hundred percent. Like, just you fight every day just to stay there, and you do everything you can just to stay in that organization, and that's why people are so passionate about it. You know, a lot of people, you know, say negative things about Rangers because they're assholes and this and that and the other. And I'm like, yeah, they, most of them are assholes, but those assholes will still have your back. Hundred percent. Yep. Like and and there's there's guys that I probably don't even like. I respect them, and they would probably still, if I called them, they'd come help me. And I would do the same for them. We may not mm-hmm. agree on things, you know, on, on some level, but that that camaraderie, that bond, especially like Jason was talking about, and like in RRC, uh, my buddy that's in Germany, like he's we're forever cemented. Like mm-hmm. it's we went through selection together. We were on the same team together. We've done a lot of stuff together. We spent more time together, he and I, our team, than we have with our own families. And it's like. I can go without talking to him for like a month straight, no contact, zero. And then I just talk to him and hit him up. It's, 
you know, just one of those weird things. I know he's got stuff to do and everything, but that bond that that has created uh, within all, you know, all, all the Rangers that, you know, hold the same values that, you know, Jason and I are holding, talking about how, how much it means to us. It's like, that's, that's why we're assholes. That's why we're, we're, we are the way that we are. That's why we're so passionate in it. It's not just because we wake up and we're like, hey, I just, I, I'm going to be a dickhead today. Some guys do, yeah, I'm sure. But, like, you know, we I just. I think, you know, it's not necessarily, I, I think, so I used to be a big asshole. <laughs> and I've heard. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, very big. I admitted that. And uh, I've, I've, I've been working, I've worked really hard to, you know, uh, have a growth mindset and be be better every day and and uh, and be disciplined in everything I do and and put people first. You know, the, over the last you know year or so of my life, you know, trying to make those changes or hard changes. And you got to look inside to change that. Yeah. And realize there is an issue and, and the issue is you. Yep. Um. So you know, I just uh, one of my biggest mentors. You know, he's like, there's only two things you can affect every day when you wake up, and that's your attitude, your mindset. Everything else is just going to happen throughout the day. So if you can control those two things, like you can start making changes in your life. And that really struck me and hit home, you know, and I was like, damn. So uh, I, I used to, now, if you start talking shit about regimen and all that stuff and, and you ain't been there, like, yeah, I'm probably going to turn back the clock. <laughs> but uh, but um, I, I'm very passionate about it. Obviously, I wouldn't let anybody put my put the regiment down but um i'm not like no a team like don't don't you talk about my battalion you know yeah. <laughs> fucking mr t or, but uh but uh i had to get that quote in there but um it it's something that you you give your life to you love and you know and you you want people to you don't necessarily need people to respect it as much as you do because obviously if they haven't done they're not going to but you definitely want um, people to understand the sacrifices that those those men make, you mm -hmm. know, and they have continued to make, you know, you know, for years and years, at at the level they continue to make it at. And that, that's the that's the one thing. If if you're going to ask, like, you know, what's Ranger want? And I was like, he doesn't need. I, I don't need a pat on the back, you know. I, I appreciate the thank yous and all that, and, and it's nice, and 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 you know, the pleasure's all mine. But he just wants that little bit. Of, of um i kind of respect towards like not what he's done but towards what the guys that he's been beside and, and and led or been led by that keep doing what they do every single day at mm -hmm. like uh, the the hours that they put in the training they put in the hard ass training they put in the mm -hmm. hours away from home the 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 tdys the deployments um the lost ranger buddies all those things like those guys and and me for the last 15 years they they take it on the chin every single day and then they go back to their office or their desk and they're like they figure out a way to solve the problems that are outside like the normal person i would say like capability of think thinking how hard they're gonna have to work to off some type of that problem so let's talk about that for a minute <clears throat> because as i was listening to you and then of course hearing both of your stories um you know is it is are you concerned because you've lived through this mm -hmm. but he's not yet <laughs> but are you concerned about the demons coming back and you know because you're sometimes you get focused and you have the ability of just constantly running and going uh gunning and being in the moment still to this point and all you although you've had to face it in in some regard 
again, the idle mind uh, that we talked about earlier. Idle mind's a devil's playground. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, Dave taught me that, you know, and, and um, the thing is, uh, in my, you know, I've done a lot of counseling, you know, I, I'm a big advocate of that. And, uh, and we'll talk about that tomorrow some more on, on with Dave. But, uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of counseling and uh, a lot of self-reflection and meditation and all those things and mindfulness, you know, and all, all those like things that, you know, like they say here, try this and try this. I, I'm, about, I'm about it, you know, if it's going to make me better. But the one thing that, uh, that I, you know, first off, I've never done anything in regiment that I've ever regretted. Every trigger I ever squeezed, I was proud of it. But uh, the only thing I, I regret is losing the Ranger buddies that I've left, you mm -hmm. know, just like everybody else. As far as, like, the things I've done outside of that, I have, I have no regret about it. I'd do it all again. And I'd do it, I'd do it again ten times more if I got to keep them with me. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so there's, there's that part. But, the, uh, you know, the, the, there are issues, you know. Like, I, I, if I didn't have issues, I wouldn't see a game counselor every That's Thursday. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, right. yeah. um, but... I'm on, uh, I'm on Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> so, Monday's my uh, day. You need to talk about it. That's fine. Um, but as far as the demons coming back type thing, you know, what I have uh, started doing and, and have done for the past probably, I don't know, six, six months I've started doing more, is if you don't bring positivity into my life, if you don't add value to it, Bye. And you and you don't support me. Have a nice life. Mm -hmm. You know when you change your mindset and you can grow up. Come talk to me. Um, and I and I've just like been doing everything I can to to surround myself with like-minded people that don't tell me that you're right all the time. That'll be like you're fucked up. Mm -hmm. You know, but we'll be there for you to help you through it. Yeah. yeah. And I've done the best I can over the last few, uh, six months or so and to try to really, like, cut negativity out of my life, surround myself with people that um, want to see you succeed. You don't need a pat on the back. Nobody does that. You just need that, 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 that positive support, right? Um, people that will pray for you, people that will, you know, talk good about you when you ain't around. You know, that's the kind of person you want to surround your, your life with. And there's a lot of that I didn't have, you know, and, I, and you kind of know it, right? You know. Um, and I've made some phone calls to be like, um, just so you know, like, I'm never going to talk to you again, <laughs> you know? And I have no problem saying that because I know where I'm going because I'm, I could tell Dave all the time looking in the, you know, the windshield, not the rearview mirror, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. It keeps, the rearview mirror keeps me in check, but the, the windshield's where I'm going and the people I want to go there are those type of people. And yeah. that, that has been the biggest thing that helps me. Um, and then, you know, Dave and, um, uh, Tracy and um, Dennis, uh, Claire, like uh, Pete, like all those, like Mike, like all those positive people in my life, you know, like I, I just surround myself with them. And uh, it's, and my brother Brandon, like just keep piling that up, not for the pat on the back, but for the, um, the, the good feeling, right? When you yeah. wait. Well, because it, it's, uh, you know, the positivity is going to breed more positivity. That's right. Because if 
you know, you hang around with people that are doing nothing but bitching and complaining. I know you've heard it, rangers that are just sitting there bitching and complaining all damn day. And then you're like, well, you fix what they're bitching and complaining about, and then they'll just find something else to bitch and complain about just because they want to bitch and complain. I got a no bitching policy. Exactly. It's like, (laughs) I I told dudes, if you're going to bitch and complain, you can do it to yourself in your own head. You're going to be on a talking profile. I will absolutely (laughs) counsel you and put you on a talking profile. If you're going to, that's all you're going to do is sit here and bitch and complain because what does it do? It brings everyone down. Now, what Jason's talking about is not just, like, blowing smoke up everybody's ass. Like, you know, if the three of us were hanging out, we're not just going to be like, oh, you're the greatest. No, you're mm-hmm. the greatest. You're just you're just emitting positivity as far as you're not trying to go down these roads of negativity or where those demons live mm-hmm. because those demons come visit all the time. And so it's key, you know, and exactly what he's saying is what you need to do. Surround yourself with those people that bring positivity into your life. I hear that a lot from military folks, veterans that are yeah. either or guys. Your circle that are, of five. Who are your circle of five yeah. and how are they challenging mm-hmm. you? Guys and gals are saying, hey, look. As soon as I started cutting out these people that were were just breeding negativity into my life, it completely changed. Yeah, yeah. For sure. It's it's a, you st- and I've shrunk my circle quite a bit, and there's very few people I talk Me to. Too, it's it's and it's that's for a reason. It's for yeah. a reason, and not to be an asshole or I'll absolutely talk to anybody, but like. I'm not looking for another best friend. I'm sorry. I'm not I'm sorry. I'd like, you know, not that anybody's got applications out there. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm taking Damn resumes. It. All right, let me put yeah, this away. Resume. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, but what I'm saying is like, you know, you're not going to. Instagram won't shout at Right. I've got, I've got a couple of guys that are like my, my blood brothers. Yeah. You know, one's a civilian and one is, or he's a fire marshal. And, and the other one is in the military. And so I've got both ends of the spectrum. But. To me, the relationship is somewhat the same. We just had different experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like for me, it's both of those guys are positive and I keep them around. Mm -hmm. And so having that positivity around, it just may it turns you into a better person. But the thing is that you don't realize and it's still hard for me to accept is that I am actually making those people better as well. Jason's making Dave better just by being Jason. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't realize it. He doesn't think it, you Mm -hmm. know, and we I don't think it. But. I have heard many times that people have told me that I did something and I didn't even realize I'd done anything and I affected them in a positive way. And yeah. to me, that makes me feel good because I'm like, oh shit, I actually am doing something good around here. So, you know, my mom or my sister, you know, tell me how proud they are of you. You know, you're like, all right, that's kind of your job, right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, whenever, you know, whenever somebody, whenever somebody, um, like last night, you know, I, I uh, I was going to stay in Tuscaloosa, but, uh, you know, I had a meeting there, and then I, I was like, you know, hell, would this be shorter if I drive back to Benning and then drive here in the morning? So I literally got, like, two hours sleep last night. It's great. But, uh, <laughs> well, I didn't know that. You li- you drove back to Benning? Damn. Originally, Dway. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> two alpha standards. <laughs> two alpha standards. Um, but uh, where was I at with that? Yeah. My mom, that's, I'm like, that's your job, you know, to tell me, thank you. You're, you're yeah. doing great, son, you know. But, um Last night on my way back, uh, yeah, I would talk to Mike for damn four years. I was saying, you know, yeah, and uh, he he called me, and I was, you know, I, I missed his call at first because I was still talking to Dave, and then um, I I called him right back, and a couple, you know, about five six years ago, he went through a hard time too, and uh, I was, you know, I was kind of harassing to him. I was like, hey, come over to the house, have a beer. Hey, come over to the house there, and he admitted last night. He's like, man, like. Nobody else was there, and I wasn't doing it for any other reasons. Like, I know he was having a bad time mm-hmm. um, going through divorce and stuff, and, uh, and I, you know, I knew the story. So I was like, 
hey man come over here and waste your time you know like hang yeah. out with me let's talk and bullshit you know yeah and i literally harassed him probably until he was like all right i'm, I'm gonna fine. come <laughs> yeah fine uh shut yeah, up yeah <laughs> if it'll shut him up and stop bringing my phone i'll come over right. so, and i would stop it he worked on bending for a while uh, as a civilian and i uh i'd stop in there at the, the, the place where he works and have lunch with him and uh took him, we went to talladega together and did some cool stuff and uh, the races but you know out of the blue he called me last night and uh and four years later and he's like uh and i, I text dave or i called dave this morning and talked about it but um he's like uh he's like you you have changed my life forever and i just wanted you to know that he said that to you that's what he said yeah. to me that's wild and i was like it's 12 o'clock at night and i'm driving down the blackout highway on in alabama and ra random phone call from an old friend you know yeah and he's like you know whenever i was going through my hardest times uh you're the only person out of everybody that i had that was consistent with calling me and checking on me and uh i was like well if calling somebody saves their life then or helps them in some way, then yeah, do it. Uh, you should call and check on your, you know, your buddy more often, you know, and stuff. And yeah, uh, you lose track and life happens. But if somebody's on your mind or your heart, like you should text them, call them. Yeah, you know, what's that cost you? You know, nothing, but could cost them their whole time. For so long, I heard people saying things like, you know, my my circle is really small, and you know, you said that. I got to thinking about it in my own life and um, for the, for the, at the very beginning when I used to hear that, I used to say, what the hell does that mean? You know, what are they really talking about and why? Why would they want to do? Then I got to thinking about my own and my wife probably helped me reflect on this a little bit more too. Um, my circle is like this big mm -hmm. and I didn't realize it until I started like breaking it down. Like how many people are really close friends Mm -hmm. versus friends versus maybe associate, you know, people you associate with, um, but not really friends, even. you know what I mean? Yeah. They're acquaintances yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, and you can, you know, you judge those by different standards. Like you were talking about, you know, like mm -hmm. some of these guys, you can pick up the phone. Doesn't matter how long it's been or whatever. They're there. Yeah. And it, it, it yeah. the, the conversation never misses a beat. It's mm -hmm. like, it continues from the last time, six months ago. It's, yeah, weird. it's like one of those, hold on a minute. I'll be right back, bud. But, yeah. <laughs> but we've got, yeah, exactly. I bring this up because we've also gotten to a society, you know, through social media and stuff like that, where followers, we want people to follow us. We want people to, um, think of us highly respect us or mm -hmm. whatever, like us, like us right. Yeah. And, and to where we need to understand the difference, either, mm -hmm. uh, though. You know, there are people that if that's what you're wanting to do and you're wanting people to accept what you're doing or who you are or anything else, maybe that's a, that's a problem. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's an issue. You need to kind of rethink about that. But certainly, like you were talking about, you need to cut out of your life those who probably shouldn't be in that closest mm -hmm. circle, mm -hmm. <clears throat> who yeah. know you better than anybody. You Absolutely. Know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you you know, you're talking about the Facebook thing and or the social media rather, uh, you know, I took all my social media down for 15, 16 months or something like that. And uh, one of the reasons I did that is I was doing exactly what you said. Like if I would post something, I would probably check it 900 times a day to see how many people liked it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was looking for that immediate affirmation, you know, and I wasn't able it's, to get it's it to dopamine myself. built into the application. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It is. Uh -huh. I mean, it's it, they do. It's been done that way on purpose, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But and 
Yeah, it's finding that arbitrary like from someone you don't even know. And it's like, what does that do for you? It doesn't do anything, really. It gives you a quick hit. It's like a little bump, uh, you know, a little, yep, you get, a little get your little bump, <laughs> and then you're good to go for like the next five minutes. But then guess what? They figured out that you you need it again. And there's right. people that that's all that like that their life is focused around that social media. I love social media because it makes me laugh a lot, but it also informs me. Like I just got a new used vehicle. I'm gonna build a new used vehicle. You know, I'm gonna turn it into what I want to turn it into. And that's social media is great for that. I've really started. If I see something stupid on social media, I'm just I'm not even. I'll unfollow it, or I'll just I'll just scroll past it. I don't less have time than a for month, and I've dropped less than a month on social media. When I opened back up on like I don't know like fifth or sixth, I've dropped over a hundred people with these stupid ass posts, and I'm like, mm-hmm. brand delete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's no point of having it in your life. You know, it's just you see it there, and you're. I think we react to things and we don't realize how we're reacting into our, our brain is getting that, that hit of dopamine. And I don't think we're actually conscious of that, of that fact until we take that away. And then we're like, Oh shit. Well, I got on Facebook because, um, my kids and stuff were talking about it or whatever. So I got on there and I found cousins, people I went yeah. to, you know, mm-hmm. army with and college with or whatever that were on there. And that was kind of cool. But now I'm barely on there because, um, you weren't in my life before I got on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And although you're there and I see you and I, I don't need to like constantly know what you're doing every day. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't before that. And I don't care. Yeah. I, I mean, you, I'm happy for you. You're happy. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, but, and it's not a hateful thing. It's no. just more of, when I know, say I don't care, I'm not, I'm not in a hateful way. I'm just right, saying right. I got my own life to worry about. You exactly. Know? I don't need to worry about your life. Yeah. Right. That's your job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and I think a lot more people um, can learn a lot about that. I mean, I know a lot of veterans um, or people who are coming out of the military are not on social media, especially if they come from the special operations community. You know, they just pretty much not get on there um, and such. But it, it's an easy trap. It's an easy prey uh, for you to go on there. You put some cool guy pictures on there. Next thing you know, bam, you got 500 followers, you know, mm-hmm. because you're a SEAL or you're a Ranger or you're a whatever, Green Bray, and and. You, then next thing you know, you need that next hit and, mm-hmm. and you keep doing it and you're living this false life that you're portraying out there on, on social media. That's not really who you are in reality. Exactly. And um, I know we talk about this a lot and everything, but it was funny. We had this conversation prior to getting on air mm-hmm. uh, because we were talking about just some of the challenges out there. Um, but then, like you said, there's some great stuff. When you get that message on a direct message, when mm-hmm. somebody hits you up and, and really is looking for coaching or mentoring or, you know, something that, hey, I, I got a question for you. You did this. I just want to know. And yeah. and I love the ones, the guys who give the true advice, like, you know, listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me what to do. Yeah, I had to figure it out. <laughs> but, you know, you're you're headed in the right direction. Just mm-hmm. Just keep going. You know? a lot, and, and if if I get somebody that asks me either personally or sends me a message or whatever, I just try to tell them. I'm just honest with them. I said, this is what I did. This is what worked for me. I, I wish I wouldn't have done this. I wish I would have done that. And that's where I leave it. I said, I don't know what's best for you because mm-hmm. I don't know you. I don't know your body. I don't know your mentality. I don't know how much heart you have, how much heart you don't have because heart is a big thing. Like, I don't care how strong or how weak you are or tiny you are. You got some heart. That's going to carry you a long way. Shane Acosta, Sarah Febo are the exact what you just said. The two smallest ladies, mm-hmm. Rangers, you know, uh, uh, Lieutenant and Captain, and both successful, in my opinion, 
Rangers at uh, in Third Battalion, and, and Lieutenant Febo, there she's like six people in one. Her ability and her uh, work ethic, you know, and she's a physical specimen. You know, she runs like a thirty-three minute five mile. And she does the rucks and she can do it all. That's and she's the meadow, you know, and um, she's you know five four. She's she's a ranger and she's a badass ranger in my opinion. And then Shane Acosta, you know, I had the privilege of working with her, and she was my XO when I first took a first sergeant job and physical specimen like mm-hmm. crush you on a run and, and on an obstacle course she might just get out of the way mm-hmm. like she got this um and very intellectually smart you know and just really good at their job because they have a heart as big as this room to put all that in you know mm-hmm. the, the odds are already stacked against them to start with you know and you know they feel like they have something to prove and they really don't but their heart's big enough for, you know, whatever comes their way to stay in it and keep taking it on the chin until they get where they want to go. And oh, yeah. I've, I've always been super impressed with both of them. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm super, super blessed to have the opportunity to, to be able to say I, Absolutely. I, worked, I worked with both of them. Well, I mean, you said something at the very beginning about, um, you know, you get what you, you Whatever you put out there, you get back, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what we're we're talking about too. And just in the heart, and you know, um, you know, you you you're a good person. You know, you surround yourself with good people. It's going to keep you going in that right direction, um, and then you're going to get it back. You know, tenfold. Yeah, it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It might be ten years from now. You never know. Yeah, yeah it's one of those crazy things. It, like. You're exactly right. But if I never get it back and it's something I said to somebody, something I helped with somebody, something I listened to somebody um, or anything of that matter changed their lives, saved their life or, or affected them positively in any direction um, and I never hear about it, I'll be okay with that. Because yeah. I, I want to do that as as the person I want to be moving forward into my future. Mm-hmm. Like I said you know, before, I say this all the time, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people that knew me before and you would have a totally different opinion, and that's okay, but uh, that's who I was, not who I am, and not where I'm going. So yeah, at um, least they remember you. They definitely <laughs> remember you. And I, I, every time I co-host, I will go ahead and say, "I'm sorry." I'm sorry. <laughs> just to start out, with, just start out with that blanket yeah. apology, like, "Hey guys, I'm sorry. I was an asshole." My name is Jason Belford, and I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a twelve-step program. <laughs> no, that's it. I think people just have to understand. Sometimes we had guys that were assholes too, and all you know through regiment and whatnot. It just the way it is yeah and a lot of times that you find out they're not really such a big asshole after a while you get to know them a little bit and then a lot of times they do calm down they end up they just kind of level off yeah mature level off whatever they maybe see that it's not as effective to be that asshole sometimes being nice actually works you know listening to what that dude has to say works instead of just yelling and cussing at him the whole time it's it's uh it's it's a style like you gotta you gotta figure out what your style is and and figure out how you can better communicate because the way he and i communicate to you is gonna be completely different so it's like we have to figure out kind of how we can all make the stars align and and the moons do their thing so i think a true tell of a leader for me that caveat on that what you're saying there is um 
style. Like, I have a style, leadership style, but I, you should be adaptive to Absolutely. everybody's personality, not their feelings, mm-hmm. you know? So when I can't align these two different personalities because they, you know, they're conflicting. So, hey, you know what? I'm going to move this guy over there and this guy over there because that's the different personality and that just clashes, mm-hmm. which is fine. So being able to adapt to that and, like, understand the person and understand, like, that's just kind of how their personality is. Uh, their, their feelings we care about, you know, and you want to, like, recognize them if it's, you know, valid feelings. But, like, the, I, I don't judge my leadership off of their feelings about me. Yeah. I judge my leadership off of, like, their personality and how I, like, teach, coach, and mentor them personally because I'm not going to do it the same way to you as I would to you. And once you start learning that in the young, uh, what, I would, what I would hope in today's Army is like a young staff sergeant mm-hmm. um, level probably, uh, I, I feel like that will make you a more successful leader because that allows you to be able to put people first because that's what you should be doing to yeah. start with and, um, and then have good communication too. I feel like um, just sitting thinking about it as you're talking, I, I feel like the, the Army, the military is kind of going back towards that. They're really focusing on, on the people themselves like I, I look i think back as a as, as a young staff sergeant and i'm like man i was an idiot like there ain't no way i was thinking about all that shit like what you're just talking about and because at that time all we're doing is running and gunning like we're we're at the height of this war thing g whatever you want to call it and so for us i feel like that was taken not taken away from us but we were so busy with the depl- non-stop deployments back-to-back training and all that stuff it's like we didn't focus on that as much as i think they are now because there's a little bit more time to focus on the individual and like actually learn that you learn your platoon learn your company learn your you know battalion and whatnot and uh yeah because I, I was not thinking about that shit when i was at e6 no way i'm like where's my next deployment I'm, i just want to make sure my guys are alive and and all their srp shit's done so i can at least deploy and then we're good yeah. but like the guys like uh you know what's really impressive is the guys like um sergeant major johnson sergeant major masters sergeant John- like those guys they they are they were thinking that's why they are where they are Mm-hmm. which is super impressive by the way you know, uh, yeah like, absolutely I, I, I was on your side I was like you know I just need to load magazines uh, go that way and squeeze triggers yeah. and everybody needs to do it the same well <laughs> and, and I remember uh, Sergeant Major Masters because like I mentioned in the previous podcast he was a squad leader you know he was that E6 and you know when I think about back about it he was much much different um, he engaged folks much differently mm-hmm. and uh, he could he had he scuffed us up a lot. Oh, yeah. I still have a souvenir from one of his. Oh, no, <laughs> exactly. And I have a ton of respect for the guy. You know, I probably hated his guts at the time, but, you know, I still have a nice little souvenir from a very nice smoke session. And so it's like something that I'll just keep forever. Just as a, because I look at it every now and then, I'll see it. I'll be digging through stuff. I see it and I just laugh. I just chuckle about that uh, event that we had and, you know, all the fun extracurricular activities and PT we got to do and everything. And so. But uh, no, nah, it was it was good. He he was a he was a good a good squad leader. So just having that mindset at that time is a, a testament of where he is now. I it believe made a huge huge impact in my life for sure as a mentor and as a, a leader, hundred percent. Well, and, you know, being younger in in your early twenties, maybe typical E six squad leader is fairly young. If he hadn't already, you know, if he came straight out of high school, 
So well, one thing I like about the Army, uh, you know, Terminator's one year older than me, right? And their life experiences are totally different or whatever. But um, in the civilian world, like you get a guy who's a couple years difference and younger, and you're his boss, you know, and you're you're younger than he is, you know, whatever. Like there, there's that there can be that like conflict, like how the hell, you know, that type of stuff. But yeah. in the army, I think we weed that out, obviously with the rank structure that helps obviously Yeah, mm-hmm. um, teaching military bearing. But uh, my, my level of respect for him, it has nothing to do with the rank that he wears. It's just the, the, the example that he sets every day uh, as a, as a person and, and a man and uh, a husband and dad, like he's just super smart, super humble and, crushes literally everything I, I have no idea how he's a spartan still um i, I can't do that <laughs> but uh, uh i'm just I, I just look up to him for that and um i could care less if he was 32 or 41 like mm-hmm. that's what how he is and the, the the path that he leads and, and good godly man you know like what's not to follow behind that you know? yeah exactly absolutely Felipe, it's always good to have you back. It's always good to be here. Yeah, glad you came all this way, and we had a chance to talk once again. Um, what's new with you? Anything new? Uh, still going to school. Um, still working at uh, 4K Solutions. We got, you know, it's been busy with all the supply chain shortages. We're going through a lot of issues and whatnot, so we have a lot of contracts out there, so we've been really busy with that. And then my daughter's going through life changes as well. Um, you know, she's 11, so we know what kind of changes are happening. So that's a very interesting time for me as a man, mm-hmm. you know, with a little girl. And so I'm learning that. Um, thankfully, it's only one, not seven. So God bless you, Jason. <laughs> um, but yeah, just going to school. Um, just I'm really focusing still on the mental health, you know, yeah. like uh, I actually got uh, and I'll I'll talk to you about it more, Jason, something yeah. that you can carry forward with other uh, guys, especially our age. But yeah, sure. uh, hormone and, and like a hormone th- therapy, testosterone replacement therapy, it's it's been around for a while, but um, I, my family's done it and I started on it and it's made a huge improvement because. You talk about having positive things, you know, in your life, you know, positive things that surround you. And so for me, this is one thing that's actually really helped. And it's really actually helped my mood quite a bit. And so I'm just trying to focus on making sure my all my school's good, my, my work's good, my mental health, trying to, you know, focus on my family and whatever else is out there. It's whatever, you yeah. know, those are outliers because to me, it's my family is the most important thing because that's what I've in the past neglected and so i want to focus on my family only it's like my friends are gonna to have to understand that i'm gonna hang out with my family before them because yeah. that's my family and so um yeah just trying to really uh focus on you know school work but mo- mainly the mental health aspect and just trying to you know just get better like right. try to learn and figure out what what works best for me as far as uh getting better better you know? every day exactly because it's um we unfortunately, going back to the platoon sergeant thing, we had our platoon sergeant die in 2008. Um, I don't know if that's where, where that comes from or not, that platoon sergeant getting schwacked on all the TFTs because ours actually did get killed, and that was in real life. There was no respawn or anything like that. And so it, uh, it was a very uh, crazy sh- shit show, basically. Um, you know, we take contact or whatever, and that whole thing goes down and all that. And 
and then you're left with what? Like four squad leaders, and we got to figure this out real quick. I was a team leader at the time, so um, yeah, it's it's a uh, something that uh, you know you're 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 be, you're expected to, to lead, or you're expected to know what to do, and mm-hmm. so um, I want to make sure that if somebody asks me for help, or that you know I'm trying to help somebody, like you were talking about, that I can at least give them some good advice, or at least tell them, hey, don't do what I did. Yeah which I thankfully had the opportunity to do that actually last week with uh, another guy that was uh, struggling with alcoholism because I was an alcoholic as well. And so my brother was able to talk to me to help coach this guy or get him to basically, you know, not, I don't know if he's going to rehab or anything like that, but he's, you know, he admitted he had a problem and he wants help and he really, that's the first step. Yeah. And and for me just to, you know, I I was able to help somebody indirectly kind of in a way I'd never talked to the guy or anything like that, but right. But to me, that makes me feel good. I don't care what anybody else thinks, but I just it makes me feel good because I know where that guy is and I know how much he's hurting. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know how he feels and how lost he is. And so, one thing I would say, uh, because I've seen a lot of counselors. No, I'm not that messed up, but yeah, I probably <laughs> am. But I've seen I've been through a lot of counselors. Hey, you made day. it here today, man. Yeah. You're good. Uh, uh, I've seen a lot of counselors, but um, one thing I, as a younger guy, I would. You know, when you're when you're going through stuff, is you go to the counselor and you're like, "What do you know?" Right? Mm-hmm. We don't go to the counselor to, to know what I'm been through the same thing I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. we go to the counselor because they have the advice on how to handle and techniques to deal with what you're doing. So, I just say when people go to the counselor, they need to have that expectation management so they understand that. Yeah, that, that's something that uh, I need to do adjust. Um, because I was going to the counselor thinking that they were going to tell me what all my problems are and mm-hmm. tell me exactly how to fix them. Mm-hmm. Hey, newsflash, everyone, it doesn't work that way. That's right. I had to figure that one out. It, I got so mad, <laughs> and then I got over it, and I'm like, all right, I'm going here to talk to this guy, and he's listening to me, and he's giving his thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. And it actually works. It helps a lot because it makes it makes me think, you know. Like, I sit and think about what we talked about, like, beforehand i'm like no i'm not thinking about any of that stuff i'm actually actively engaged in trying to make sure that i'm doing the right thing that i'm being a better person Mm -hmm. you know and that's that's really what it is my uh last thing last thing for my eyes burning (laughs) now why last thing for me i promise um you know uh when i was a fighter for dave and, and boxing and all that stuff uh my my nickname was one shot right but everybody thinks that uh, when they see my emails or whatever, they think that that's where that came from. But that that isn't um, the two different things. Different meanings behind that. Uh, uh, back to Star Major Johnson. But he gave a like a little um, leader professional development LPD. Um, he's give he gives some really good ones. But he said every morning when I get up in the morning and I turn the alarm off and my feet hit the floor, I tell myself I got one shot. Mm-hmm. One shot at to this. To get it right today. And I was like, that's literally genius. I mean, but it is. So small, but so big. So I uh, I was like, what? I was like, how? you know, I got, you know, write it down on a piece of paper or whatever. But I put it on my, uh, I was like, you know what? I use my email at least every day. So I changed, I, you know, I made uh, my email one shot, you know, at, so 
It's a one-shot RLTW. Well, I, I used to say the saying, you got um, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. you're right. You got yeah. one shot at today. Make it yeah. count. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Make it count. Yeah. yeah. Felipe, appreciate you coming, brother. I love being here. Yeah. Loved I'm, it. I'm glad you do. No, I know it's great. I love talking to you guys. It's it's always a good experience and uh, listening to the show as well, man. You know, it's, yeah. it's great, great episodes, great information, and the the variety is is what I like. It's not you guys aren't like specifically going after a certain a certain demographic or a certain hey we only want door kickers or I only want right. aviators right. or I only want navy guys. It's it's whoever we don't mm -hmm. care. And so that I really enjoy that. And so just. I, hearing these stories, it helps me because I get to reflect on my life and, and hear a story like Jason talking about all he thinks about is being, you know, I'm going to be better today. I'm going to be better today. How many people are thinking like that? Most people are worried about the dumbass shit that's on social media who didn't like my post. Like well, People worry about being a hypocrite, like well, if, how you better every day. It's like, well, I mean, if I fuck it up today, I'll be better tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Like, exactly. Listen to the damn staying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. No, and that's that, that's that's the thing. It's just uh, people like Jason having that effect on other people out there. Like there, some people may think it's the dumbest thing in the world. Better every day. Better. It's like, okay, well, if you sat and actually thought about it, and then you might you might actually want to become better every day. And then five years later, he's like, well, you know, I'm better every day. You know, and it's because he finally sees it, and we've all done that. We're like. Put the foot in the mouth and be like, yeah, two years ago I said this was dumb as shit. And then you grow up and you mature a little bit. It may, may have only taken two years and you're like, yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, that's right. You know, it happens. It sucks. It, it tastes very bitter, but um, it's a learning experience. So, right. yeah. um, but no, and then and just to glean that from, uh, you know, a podcast, I think is, is powerful. I think it's good. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, we talked about it off air and yeah. stuff, how much I appreciate that kind of feedback because it's a lot of what we wanted to do this show for Absolutely. and to give back. Yeah. So, but I also, at the same token, appreciate you coming on here, sharing your stories because they're doing the same thing of what you're listening to yeah. and, and helping you. Yeah. So Absolutely. I appreciate that. That's great. No, loved it. Really enjoyed being here. Thankful for the opportunity. You bet.